to the jury. The prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this episode of the Hagman Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful but blustery northwest Pennsylvania, where we broadcast live each and every weeknight. That's Monday through Friday to those people. Weekday challenged, okay, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern time, the real time, as opposed to, like, Central, which is not the real time. You get what I mean, all right? Every weeknight uh, on the Global Star Radio Network. Proud to be part of the Global Star Radio Network. What a great, uh, what a great broadcasting platform. We're also simulcast on Blog Talk Radio. You can also watch us live and by archive right here on YouTube, our official YouTube channel. Don't fall for any imposter channels. There are imposters out there. They're not us. You can see us in live living color. Here we are. And links to each audio and video venue can be found on our website, hagmanandhagman.com. Real simple, hagmanandhagman.com. No ampersand. That's, you got to spell the word and. And the ampersand for, for those of you who forgot cursive, you know. Circle Yeah. No. Knock you upside the head. No. Um, uh, hagmanandhagman.com. Spell it all out. Two ends on Hagman. Don't forget, we've got two different websites, hagmanandhagman.com and hagmanreport.com. And then my own little corner on the web, which I began with back in 2002, homelandsecurityus.com, sure to cause many people little ticks and in, in, in their facial ticks and such, but just by the name. Folks, bookmark Hagman and Hagman.com and HagmanReport.com. I'm Doug Hagman at the helm, a fellow investigator, researcher, and most importantly, my son, Joe Hagman, next to me, right here. With right his voice. There. He, with his voice. You know what? It came back it, after it, the show last it, night. Well, I muzzled him up. Okay, look, I, I had, I had a, I had a rant yesterday, so, you know, I had a, like, <clears throat> he drank some, he drank some, uh, I, I gave him a drink beforehand in terms of, you know, sandpaper and, and, <laughs> Crush class. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding around. Uh, boy, am I excited. You know why, you know why I'm excited tonight, folks? Listen carefully, okay? You ready? Okay, put your pens and pencils down. If you're driving, stop. Pull off to the side of the road. Easy. If you're in your police car, and I know we've got a lot of police officers listening, you put your guns down, tasers down. Here's why I'm excited. You ready? We've got a brand new sponsor. We do. Hello Fresh. Hello Fresh. Hello Fresh. Hello Fresh dot com. This is the company actually we began uh, using before man. they became a sponsor. Uh, you know something, folks? Okay. Now all right. Real quick before we bring on our guests, I don't want to cut any of his time, but here but here's the deal. And and by the way, I've got to leave early. I've got to take care of some business. Um uh, so I'm not going to be here for the entire interview and for the entire program. I'm going to trust Joe. Really too, so. Oh no! Well, we can we have Josh run the uh, <laughs> no. our guests run everything. But 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 here's here's why. Uh, okay, hello Fresh. Um, well, let me go back just real quick. Uh, set this up. Back last summer, we had uh, we had a few issues. Uh, we had some sponsorship and people that. Um, uh, well, they said you know something. Um, 
some companies you're sponsoring are, are really antithetical. Uh, they're vocally well. I'm not going to get into it, except to say that uh, that uh, we believe in the people. We believe in in our sponsors. All right, and our sponsors believe in us. We found a company that delivers fresh food right to your door. It's a it's it's a it's a it's the leading meal delivery kit service. It's HelloFresh. So portions of the nice broadcast brought to you by HelloFresh, the leading meal delivery kit service. And my wife took a picture of me in an apron. Mm-hmm. It's floating around. Uh, I'm not sure if we, but anyway, it, more details on HelloFresh later. But I'm just so excited to welcome them aboard, and so excited to be part of their. Um, uh, their meal delivery service. The food is absolutely delicious. I'm going to tell you, and they've got the best. <clears throat> they got the best. Hello Fresh, the leading meal delivery service. Again, portions of nice broadcast brought to you by Hello Fresh. Now, more on that later. But uh, Joe, we've got a great show for uh, for everyone lined up, right? Yes, we do. We have with us Josh Tolley. Many of you know him from the Josh Tolley Show. Heard yes. live weekdays, uh, 10 to 12 p.m. a.m. Central Time, uh, on GCN, right before Alex Jones. And he's got not only his radio show, but he is a motivational speaker. His website, joshtolly.com. <clears throat> he's also an author of a fantastic book. I recommend everybody who can get their hands on it and read it do so. This was one of my favorite books dealing with, uh, not only entrepreneurship, but how to do it in a biblical, biblically sound way, especially in, in these tough times that we live in, both uh, tough economically um, and also to be a Christian. And uh, Josh lays out incredible, uh, commonly overlooked uh, sound principles to dealing with money, uh, you know, businesses, and, and how to best make the best of what you have and not only make the best of what you have, but how to help others in the process. You know, and, he started his own business at eight when he was eighteen years old. Did you know that? I did not know that. What, what the heck? I would have didn't didn't that bring you up better? <laughs> and my dad would have said, "Didn't I bring you up better?" No, eighteen years old, man. I mean, this guy, a top businessman, entrepreneur, yeah. and a great author. Um, so anyway, let's bring him on. What do you think? Or either that, or we can just extol his virtues and and just let him sit back and uh, you know ride the wave, right? But we, no, let's bring him on. Let's make him. Let's make. Let's make him work. Josh, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? So good oh, being here uh, with you guys. Well, that's it's great. It's great to uh, it's great to have you here with us. Our studio audience, they're doing the wave right now. I'm looking out over over uh, a whole bunch of uh, seats, and uh, oh, they're just. I don't know if you can hear the applause. Well, no, you can't. <laughs> Oh, it, yes. you know, I have these delusional things in my head. Of course, folks, no, we don't have a studio. Okay, I was, I'm kidding. Because I, Josh, I'll get the email saying, hey, can I get tickets? You know? <laughs> so, but no, we <laughs> you don't want to see that show. Um, but anyway. No, oh, it's great to have you, man. So, all right. Um, wow, we got, we got so many things to talk about. Let's start with Dallas. Josh, we're going to be in Dallas. <clears throat> You're going to be right there along with us at the Hear the Watchman conference. Um, yes. Yes, I am. You know what? I was looking at this today, knowing that I was coming on your show today. I was I was trying to figure out how long have we known each other. And it is four years now. And this is the first time in four years we're going to be in the same room. 
That's awesome. I mean, I'm not sure so, if that's scary that's awesome or what. No, it's <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, it, that that took three years, ten months too long, is what I'm saying. Wow, man. And you know, I've watched your videos. You know, your your show, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I just I I just can't wait. I mean, it's fab. It's gonna be fabulous to have you to to be in the same room as you said to be in the same room with you. And um, I'm yeah. walking beside you just for security purposes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, like a truck. No, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be great. The, the event's going to be awesome. We had uh, a bunch of people on the show, on our show, talking about it. We have uh, just a, a litany of listeners who are saying, yep, I'm either coming if they can come, or now that they can stream it, they're going to stream it if they can't come. So it's going to be just awesome. you got to be there. Oh man, it's it's going to be fun, and and there's so many great speakers that, that are going to be there. Now, now, Josh, what are you talking about at the conference? Do you are you at liberty to discuss that or or not? I am not at liberty to discuss that. That's one of those okay. uh, you have to come to to see what I'm talking about sort of scenarios. Okay. All right, that's fair enough because. Um, that, that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> no, to be quite honest with you, I don't know what I'm talking about, actually. <laughs> well, well, you, you can go seriously. You can go in like so many directions. You, you're a guy right. that. Uh, uh, I mean, we could toss out any subject, and I, and I know that you could run with it. Um, it's just amazing the, the amount of knowledge you have. Um, now, the last time that you were on, um, we were talking about your book. Yeah, he Please. just released his book, Evangelpreneur. Yeah, I can never pronounce that. I, I mean, I could, I end up saying, I just butcher the word, and I don't know why, but Evangelpreneur, right? Is that how to pronounce it? Evangelpreneur. Evangelpreneur, yes, sir. Evangelism, right. entrepreneurship. All right. And, and, folks, what a great book. And and, and I, can, I can just see people, you know, driving, saying, I'm going to just you know, hit that bridge up. I'm going to be talking about books again. But, but there are certain tools in, in our library, certain books in our library, tools in our arsenal that, that we like to really use, and that's one of them. Uh, Josh Tully is an amazing author and a lot of good information in that. Well, anyway, Josh, where do you want to start tonight? What, uh, where should we begin? Joe, start off with the conference, but... Um, well, I guess we could we could start off with um, politics, uh, the latest in in political news. We got Romney coming back to life, flip flopping again. So that's that's always entertaining. We have a lot of people taking this stuff seriously, as if somehow the the choice is there for a smaller government. <laughs> <laughs> the reality is. January, I can guarantee you what we're going to have. We're going to have a larger government because everybody left is all advocating a larger government. It's just where they want to make the size increase. So guaranteed, larger government's coming. <sighs> wow. Gee. It's par for the course. I mean, all right. At Bush and, and you mentioned Romney coming in, uh, you know, and flip flopping, uh, today. What do you make of, of the, Republican GOP establishment and their anti-Trump oh, push, ready to burn their own party to the ground just to make sure he does not get the nomination. Okay, here's how this works. The GOP is actually reaping their own fruit. They have sowed seeds now for election cycle after election cycle, thinking that they could somehow ignore the voting base. And what's really sad is you have a lot of Christian voters that haven't been paying attention, and they think that this is somehow a new sort of GOP. Like, why are they doing it? They did this same thing to to Ron Paul twice. And they got so bold and crass that they 
actually rigged a vote on live television. They wouldn't seat delegates who didn't agree with them. They held rules conventions to make it harder for grassroots people to win. So for years now, they've been kicking the teeth of people who believe that they're conservative, who believe they believe in the Bible, who are looking for a conservative candidate. So the result of that is that they're reaping what they sowed. Now we have seen path after path after path of elected Republican. Last midterm, it was supposedly the largest Republican shift in generations. The one before that, the second largest shift in generations. The Tea Party, the whole movement, right? You get all these people to go to Washington, D.C., and they all turn their backs on what they promised. So it, it doesn't surprise me when we have a situation where the Republican voting base no longer trusts people like Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush, even though he's out. The, just the party as a whole has such a disdain now in the, in the, the minds of people that they're reaping what they're sowing. And what's interesting about this is today when Mitt Romney went on his little tirade about a guy who he wanted to endorse him only four years ago, he was talking about how Donald Trump's policies would lead to, you know, economic disaster. Now, I am not, not, not endorsing uh, Donald Trump in any way, shape, or form. But just from that comment, we have something to learn here. What is it that Romney doesn't like about Donald Trump's uh, position? And it's this idea of tariffs. Tariffs, they're not a bad word. Tariffs are something that the majority of nations participate in. Matter of fact, I have an article coming out this weekend. It's probably going to be in WorldNet Daily detailing how most countries have tariffs. And it's a way to lower the tax burden. Before 1913, we didn't pay any income tax, yet the roads were still built, bridges were still built, because we got the money via tariffs. Well, Romney is saying that if we do this, we're going to enter a trade war, as if somehow that's a bad thing. Well, <laughs> we're losing right now. We're losing to the tune of a $181 billion trade deficit. So what war do you, does he think we're not going to win? Right now, the entire world is still using the dollar as a trading currency, which means if, if, if we did get into a trade war, we would be the winners because even the weapon that the other people are going to use was made by us. So it's, it's a whole lot of hyperbole. It's a whole lot of make you scared. It's a whole lot of, you know, the Cruz, Rubio, Romney camp is bought out by these international corporations and they need that sort of open TPP TPIP sort of policy in order for their handlers to make all these trillions of dollars. And if there was a tariff, then it actually empowers Christians in Biloxi, Mississippi, and Walla Walla, Washington, and they can't have that. Well, here's what I see, and you tell me if you think this is the same thing. I, I, I see an American public that was fed up in, in 2008, mm -hmm. and we got... Obama. It was an emotional, I mean, a very, very emotional, um, people voted by emotion, not by knowledge, of course. And the tactics on the Republican side, now let's just talk the right-left paradigm as people sure. would know that, okay? Uh, as opposed to, you know, what, what, what the real stuff is. So the average American thinks, okay, we're, we're going to have hope and change. Bam, Obama. Now the pendulum has swung so far to the other side that we are looking for someone 
to really get us out. I mean, we need somebody to dig us out of the, the hole that we have dug for ourselves, the government that is. So the only person that really fits that bill emotionally, that appeals to the emotions, the anger of Americans is Donald Trump. But then you've got the establishment Republicans who say, well, we, we can't have this because number one, there go our, there goes our graft, you know, the, the power base, there goes our gang of eight power base and all the influential, uh, you know, the 54 Republican senators and those in the House. Uh, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to be accountable, more accountable, at least by appearances. So here's what we're going to do. Now, this is what I see the Republicans doing. Uh, they're they're going to formulate a plan where they're going to uh, select key states where the winner gets all in terms of delegates, and they're going to swing the delegate count. Not uh, even if Trump wins, they can go back in and and folks go back to your constant, go back to civics class and government class. They can go to states like Florida and I believe Texas might be one where uh, winner takes all. And, and if, if, for example, uh, Trump doesn't, or let's say Trump wins, they can go back and, and when I say winner takes all, that, that's the first, uh, the first vote. But they can go back and, and key up another issue and, and then basically swipe, steal, or maneuver votes, delegates into right. Rubio's camp. And, and so I see this, this Republican machinery doing just that. And uh, putting their boy in, some say Rubio, others say Cruz. I, I don't know who in Romney the world now. is. Romney's and, and, yeah, in. Romney. And and this looks uh, and at face value like he's coming, you know, into this. Just made a decision today. Well, guess what? He filed to run for president on the first on the thirtieth of January, twenty sixteen. Right. right. This was not some, um, you know, just I woke up today and decided to become uh, another uh, throw my hat in the ring for president. But but I mean I, I guess yeah but but Josh I mean this whole thing is is rigged right I mean right before our very eyes and they're not being too uh, coy about it. Well yeah okay so there's there's two things there I'll get to the rig thing in a second but let's first talk about the Romney filing to, to run. I actually predicted that 16 months ago. I predicted that near the end he's going to come back in because everybody else they have doesn't really hold a pot of water. And the reality is that you have a bunch of pretend conservatives out there saying, oh my goodness, did you see the takedown that John Oliver did on on Donald Trump? And they thought that that would lower Trump's numbers, but it raised them. And the reason it raised them is because that John Oliver piece didn't reveal anything that everybody else didn't know. The reality is, guys, that the American public doesn't care. Everybody knows Trump has lied. Everybody knows Trump likes women. Everybody knows Trump has been, has filed for bankruptcy. Everybody knows Trump, uh, you know, swears on stage. Everybody knows Trump exaggerates, but they don't care. And this is what the GOP and the supporters of the candidates who are left just don't seem to get. It's not about which guy is better. Americans are so mad that they want somebody to go to D.C. and destroy it. They want to send a bull into the china shop and say, well, you know, the bull's going to poop on the floor. Don't care. Destroy it. Well, the bull might uh, run somebody over. Don't care. Destroy it. 
And to a certain extent, people are hoping Donald Trump, with all his boisterous, his ego, his narcissism, goes to D.C. and just obliterates the thing. Not because they believe Donald Trump's going to lead us to be a great America again. Without God, we can never be a great America again. But because they want somebody to take down the machine that is oppressing all of us, which leads to that second part of this is all rigged. I'm going to tell you something right now. If Trump isn't in on this, and and he's really doing this out of his heart, regardless how big or small the heart is, but if he's really doing this out of his heart, these elections are rigged, and I am very concerned for his safety. Now, I have already predicted, and well, I, I won't say predicted. I I have identified the scapegoat for them taking out Trump. If you remember. When El Guapo or El Chapo, whatever his name was, tunneled his way out of, of that prison with the help of the U.S., and yes, we helped him. He was the recipient of our Fast and Furious money and aid and weapons. When he tunneled out of there, he publicly took on Donald Trump about his comments about the wall. Now, this yep. is a guy the government has supplied rifles to, has supplied ammunition to. So now, essentially what you have is the perfect scapegoat, and they could drop Trump right today during the middle of the debate and say, oh, it was one of El Chapo's men. He must have done it. So if he's legit, if Donald Trump's really trying to be legit, then he's got to be extremely careful because he's already been threatened. Just he's, he's at this point where he's such a large personality, he doesn't really care. And, you know, there's a, a story today I saw violent threats against Trump going unchecked on Twitter you know, we oh, see yeah. uh, the freedom of speech is being censored in certain ar arenas. You know, you can't talk about... We had Loretta Lynch come out what, last month, and she walked these comments back with saying she's going to pursue anti-Islamic speech as hate speech. And you see yeah. this, you know, Facebook and Twitter taking these things off. If you put anything that's anti, uh, you know, homosexual marriage, anything anti-abortion up, they, you know, they censor you. But you have... The Twitter, you know, allowing these violent comments to continue. Hold that thought for a second, Josh. Let me ask you a real quick question here. All right, let's take that thought. Let's take that for a moment and go forward with this. If Donald Trump something happened, let's just say there was an. I was well. This question comes from a conversation, lengthy conversation today with Dave Hodges from the Common Sense Show. Let me ask this question. If somebody took out Trump, like RFK, mm -hmm. what would happen in this country? What do you think would happen in this country? God forbid. I mean, but what do you think would happen? Uh, that's that's a really good question. I think to a certain extent you would have the majority of the country be oblivious. Uh, we we need to realize that even though we're paying attention to politics, the majority of people still aren't voting. So even though it's record turnouts and you know really big sweeps when they when they sweep a district or a state, the majority of people still aren't voting. So most people would just be livestock. They would go about consuming their their daily dose of Hulu or Netflix or whatever. The rest of us would be split. Half of us would say, "Holy cow, this is just like what we saw with uh, Scalia and what we saw with." Um, the Kennedys and what we saw with Lincoln and we would fill the airwaves with a bunch of solid theories 
Now, of course, we never have all the evidence because they retain the evidence, but solid theories. And then you would have people that say, see, this is exactly why we need more police state. We need more surveillance, more background checks, more drones, more TSA, more restrictions on Internet, more restrictions on cash. I mean, for goodness sakes, we are becoming that dog that lives in a yard that has the electronic fence. People keep asking, well, Josh, when, are, when is martial law going to happen? I'm like, geniuses, to a certain level, it already is. We cannot leave the country without permission. Next year, you can't leave nine states without permission. You can't withdraw more than $3,000 unless the bank's going to report you. You have a, a daily limit on your card. You can't search the Internet without being watched. We are that dog in a yard that has the electronic fence. We think we're free until we go past wherever our owner wants us to go, and then zappo, baby, they got you. Amen to that. Well I mean, said. that's that's well said. And and people, you know, we've been conditioned, programmed to believe that we are free. When 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 we're this is we're a soft tyranny. Free. Yeah, and yeah. You're, you're exactly right. It's a soft tyranny. It is anything but constitutional. The rights seem to be um, flexible enough to be implemented when need be and taken away when also need be. I mean, they set up the, you know, 100 miles with inside anywhere within a border, a national border, yep. is a constitution-free zone. You have the NDAA, uh, Obama picking up, uh, you know, expanding the Patriot Act. But, but, more government. But what Josh said was so true. People... Are, are clueless. The majority, no, I shouldn't say all people, our audience, and Josh's audience, exceptions, but the majority of people are clueless about this. How can people not know? Um, I, it just blows my mind when I see these men, men on the street interviews, you know, where, uh, uh, Mark Dice or, or even some of the late night people go out there and, you know, they stick a microphone in front of some, uh, rum dum's, uh, face and, you know, the guy with the earrings and the ring through his nose just carrying a surfboard and saying, hey, dude, you know, I mean, it, it had to be scripted but, to be that. I, mean. I, I guess to, to me, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, but, um, let me flip this question to you, Josh. What happens if Trump takes it all and gets in office, and all of a sudden that that Constitution, pesky Constitution, gets in his way too? Could that happen? Oh, I mean, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. He's already said it's happened. I mean, this is a guy who's for eminent domain. This is a guy who's for cracking your phone to make sure they can spy on you. Donald Trump is in no way, shape, or form a liberty-minded candidate. Now, he might have some business, uh, well, even that's kind of questionable, but he has some business success. And I think that initially you're going to see some successes in that region. Just like anybody who controls a nation, when they come in, they have success. When Mao took over, the people thought they were prospering. When Hitler took over, people thought they were prospering. You know, I'm not comparing him to Hitler in some sort of homicidal yeah. sort of way. But I mean, just like right. when, when, there's, when there's a new system in place by somebody who plans on taking power, there's, there's always this feeling of, well, it just got better until you went over the cliff and everybody crashed and died. But I, I think I want to go back to something that Joe said a second ago, and that was that 100 miles within the border thing. Yes. See, now this is really interesting, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners know exactly what Joe is talking about, but what I'm afraid of 
is there's been a lot of rhetoric lately about how our borders are not necessarily the borders with Canada and Mexico. And if you think about it, every time they bring up immigration on the mainstream media now, they talk about this. They say, well, don't you know that most of our borders are actually our airports? Because most immigrants come through the airports and then they don't go back and they overstay their visa. Well, what if they took that 100-mile principle that they applied to the Canadian border and the Mexican border and did a 100-mile circle around every airport that had international flights? Well, now you just took over the vast majority of the populated area of this country with no sense of uh, constitutional rights at all. Yeah, and ooh, <laughs> ooh. Who's to say that, you know, it's not already like that? If you can put a constitution-free zone inside of America, that kind of is an oxymoron. Um, right. And we're operating under War Powers Act from, from 1933. It's a de facto, as you said, you know, a soft martial law. And, you know, it's a dangerous when you have somebody like Trump saying he can round up all the Muslims uh, and send them back home or whatever, you know, who's to say he, he's not going to round up all the you know, uh, Christians next or who, whoever that may be. Well, and you even know. if he doesn't, see, this is how this works. The evil has a long game approach. We, as, as just normal Americans, we think about paychecks on Friday, picking up the kids from soccer on Tuesday. We have a very short field approach. Well, evil has a very long view. So if you notice that throughout the course of, of America from 1775 forward, there's been a gradual decline of freedom every year. Just It's gradual, gradual, gradual. So even if he doesn't do it, he might set up some sort of precedent where his predecessor will do it. The point is that we are on that downward trajectory regardless of who wins. It's just a different flavor. We are, we are livestock arguing about which farmer we want, but the farmer doesn't and change the fact that we're still livestock. Hmm. Perfect analogy. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Let's take a look at the presidential election on the uh, Democratic side. <clears throat> For, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, first of all, you and me, all right, Joey? I mean, you, no, you, I'm you fine. Some, okay. I'm fine. All right. Just uh, keep that sandpaper coming. Yeah. No, uh, Hillary Clinton versus Sanders. Right. A socialist versus a, a communist, basically. <laughs> I mean, there's real. I, I don't. Josh, well, yeah. Do you agree? Hillary Clinton basically is of the communist ideology. I mean, Absolutely. is that how you would? All right. So we got a socialist, self-proclaimed versus a communist on the progressive side. Okay, go right. ahead, Joe. All right. We just have to identify the players. Yeah. I mean, uh, how do you see this playing out, Josh? With the uh, Approval ratings of Hillary Clinton. I, I don't even understand how there even is anybody out there who pays attention to, to politics who can sit there with a straight face and say that they would um, feel safe or want her as president. You know, we talk about Obama as lawless. She would pick up where he left off, like Obama picked up where Bush left off with the lawlessness. She's under, um, you know, investigation right now. They just gave immunity to the. Uh, aide who set up her email server illegally outside of yeah. the government, um, you know, servers. And, 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 and can I say something, <laughs> folks? If you go back to our, our official YouTube channel, I reported on this, and, and uh, boy, that sounded bad. I reported on, now, 
we reported back in June, Brian Pagliano, the guy behind the server, we talked about him, we identified him long, be- well, well before the mainstream media did. Go back and you can watch the, the video I did with my old white board. It was in this office, uh, in this studio, just a little different. And, uh, we told you. We told you this was going on, but sorry. Go ahead, Joe. Continue your, your thought there. I just wanted to, to, to really push my video there. No, I mean, if we see Obama get away with all these scandals from Fast and Furious to Benghazi to, I mean, the endless, the uh, IRS targeting, I mean, it just, you can start a list and, and it'll go forever. And then you have Hillary here. She was part of the, the government. Uh, she ran against Obama in 08. I think there was a, they went to that Bilderberg meeting and, and mm-hmm. the Bilderberg chose or it appeared that they chose who was going to be the, the president and it wasn't her. Now she has her turn, but she is under investigation by the FBI. Um, first off, do you see any results uh, or any indictments down the road here uh, for Hillary Clinton? I mean, is she looking at the nomination or is she looking at uh, indictments? Well, she's looking at the nomination. Uh, I believe that there are indictments already pending. They're just waiting to pull the trigger. Okay. Did you stop talking or we lose you? I think we lost them. Okay. I think we lost them. We'll get them back. Uh, all right. All right. I just, okay. Yeah. We, it, it just, it was kind of a natural, uh, stoppage. But, but, you know, Here's what I see it will, while we're working on getting Josh Tully back. All right. Um, Pagliano, the head of the, the guy that physically had control over the server was reportedly granted immunity. Mm-hmm. Now, in every single case, well, not everyone, 99% of the cases that we've worked, that I've worked on the criminal end as an investigator for the past 30 years, when you're granted immunity, that means lurking in the background somewhere is either a grand jury or one about to be convened. All right. Now, because you get the immunity for yeah, in return for testimony, cooperation. Right, right. now, uh, but can That's I observe this? No. Yeah, you all right, man? Did you you back <laughs> with us, right? I swear, every time I talk about this, somehow I lose connection. It even happens during my show, and I'm hardwired into the network. Anyway, and we're hardwired here. But yeah, continue, please. So what what I was saying was, we're witnessing this this arm wrestle, this tug of war for the people who are trying to get to the top of the pyramid. People like Hillary and Barack Obama and Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz. These are mid level managers. The real power players are never coming out behind the curtain. So we're seeing really the the managers fight and argue amongst themselves as to what sort of pecking order there's going to be at the end of the end of this global plan. And it depends on how Hillary and Bill have played their cards. For a while it seemed like they were unstoppable and there were just doors opening everywhere for them. And I don't know who they made mad or what they got caught doing, but that tide is starting to shift where all of a sudden there's a certain element of um, rejection in certain countries by certain donors. So it, it, I think right now we just have to watch and see how that plays out. She's either going to jail or she's going to the White House. That's what it comes down to. 
<laughs> well, I, I, I got to tell you, Josh. I, I, I now again, my question to you: She gets perp walked out of wherever she's at. American people, what kind of reaction are we going to see? Are we, we going to see MSNBC or Chris Matthews um, that tingle go go from a tingle to like a uh, you know an, an aneurysm uh, up to the brain? Or, or I, I mean, I, I guess what kind of reaction if we see her perp walked? Um, um, do you think there would be from the American people, if any? You're not going to see that. I mean, she'll be pardoned either way. She uh-huh. right now, it's just. Do they want her to have access to the ballot or not? And, you know, let's say they, they indict her and she goes before a grand jury, kind of like her husband. I mean, think about this. Nothing happened to her husband. This guy was impeached. Most people forget Bill Clinton was impeached. Yep. He was censured. Nothing happened to him. He lied to federal investigators. He lied to a grand jury. Nothing happened to him. So the same thing's going to happen with, with Hillary. It's just, who gets to be on the field? It's it's kind of like the whole Benghazi thing, right? Why do you think we got rid of two admirals, two generals, the Secretary of State, and everybody else who was associated with that power play? Because you have to take out the people who know too much. And Hillary finds herself in an interesting position. She knows where the ba- the bodies are buried, but there's a hole there for her, too, if she doesn't behave. So she's she's walking a thin line amongst the the power elite. You, you know, uh, wow. All right, let me get your take on something that uh, conversation I had again with Dave Hodges, the Common Sense Show earlier today, and uh, he called for a reason. He, he had a, a, a source tell him something, and um, folks, I said this in a video I did uh, two weeks ago. I think it was now right after the passing of Scalia. We're going to have one more Supreme Court vacancy, I believe. This is my belief. We're going to have one more Supreme Court vacancy before Obama leaves office. Now, I'm not saying someone's going to die. I'm saying it could very well be uh, Ginsburg says, you know what, I'm tired, I'm old, going to retire. And, and, and yeah. you know, it's going to be deliberate so Obama can cement a, a Marxist, communist, Islamo-fascist on the Supreme Court, basically, and change the complete complexion of the judiciary, which, of course, Americans believe is a strong branch, but it's the weakest branch, and that's a whole another, another subject. But the bottom line is this. My question to you um, is, do you think, and, and here's kind of the scenario that, that we were talking about, and here's what I think is going to happen. To avoid the Hillary Benghazi email potential indictment, well, why not put the judiciary or the um, Department of Justice in, in, a, in a certain amount of chaos by nominating Lynch as the next Supreme Court nominee, um, upending pretty much or causing a little bit of, of chaos and conflict there? That way, we can get the heat off of Hillary and, and um, kind of kill two birds with one stone. Any thoughts on that, or am I just kind of out to lunch? No, no, no. That's that's a pretty good strategy. I think if we see another step down uh, of a justice, a retirement, I think that one of the names that gets floated for that position is going to be Barack Obama. And I think that float of Barack Obama taking that position would be enough to push Hillary over the edge for a victory because now a vote for Hillary is a vote for Obama, which means Obama is essentially on the ballot again. And as much as I would hate to admit it, that would be a genius strategic play because he would be that that uh, 
he would be that force that kind of coalesces that entire fractured group over there. So that way he would get his nomination before he's out. He would have his name floated as the next person to be nominated. The court would go completely con- communist crazy lib, and it would secure the vote for Hillary. Interesting. Interesting. And, and we're, we're a, and I know you know uh, government history, civics, everything. I mean, again, we as Americans, and, and not your audience, not, not our audience, but the majority of people have been brainwashed to believe that Supreme Court decisions are binding as in, as in law, meaning the law of the land. So a burger fell on June 26th of 2015 would be the law of the land when in fact it is no such thing. Yet we've been programmed to believe that it is. And, and, and act as it is, and some some may argue, I guess that it's uh, you know precedent makes law, but in this right. case, I don't believe so. Your thoughts on that? I mean, uh, uh, well, as as a student of, of political history, I know that the Supreme Court was viewed as such a low rung on the the importance ladder that for a long time it was in the basement of the Capitol. They were kind of there as the legal clerks for Congress to say, okay, uh, this is what we decided to, to put forth as a law. Can you guys, the legal scholars in the building, can you kind of run this through the ringer to see if this, you know, measures up or not? But what has happened is people love to follow leaders. We have a herd mentality. We really do. We are, all humans are, are tribal based sort of people. So we put these people up above us. We make them lifetime members. We call them the Supreme, the Supreme Court. And then the Supreme Court gets to dictate to the rest of us what is and what is not law. And whoever planned it was genius because those people are not elected, which means they have this mystique about them where, well, you know, Bush could be wrong and Obama could be wrong and Kasich could be wrong, but the Supreme Court, they're not wrong. And in the eyes of Americans, it's kind of like that. We have turned government into a god, and that's who we pray to for answers. Well, can I get married? I don't know. Ask government. Can I drill a well on my land? I don't know. Pray to government. I mean, ask government. And we're in that situation right now, and the people are moving more towards it, not less towards it, because we've destroyed the educational system and we've destroyed the entrepreneurship-based economy. Mm. Very well said. Mm. Even in the president's own, uh, he released a, a paper or a statement on the SCOTUS blog uh, for the next Supreme Court pick. <clears throat> he says this, The person I will appoint will be someone who recognizes the limits of the judiciary's role and understands that a judge's job is to interpret the law, not make the law. Right. That is not. This has been the opposite of how things have been working in this country for decades. Yeah, and that's just like every politician says they believe in the Constitution and they believe in liberty, too. Whatever a politician says, you have to know there's part lie to it. There's no profession in this entire country that has less respect from the people than a politician. There's no career that fathers would hate to see their daughter bring home more than a politician. So you just have to realize whatever they say, they're probably lying to you. And here's here's a really interesting point that I don't think a lot of people uh, pick up on. We have a situation where government has become a business. 
you have professional politicians. And even after that, they go on, most of them get either really cushy corporate jobs or lobbying jobs, paying six to seven figures. So politics has become a business. Well, as a businessman, I can tell you that all businesses have competition. The competition for politics is freedom. So more freedom equals less relevance of government. That's why they're never, ever really fixing the problem. And a perfect example of that is is Donald Trump. Look at how fast everybody with an R united to stop Donald Trump. But yet for seven years, they couldn't unite to stop Obama? Are you kidding me? So of course this is a myth. Of course this is a lie, what they're trying to pull. And because freedom is the antithesis of government, we have to look at what is the product that government creates. If they're a business, what do they produce? Well, their only production is law. That's all they have. So they have to continue to create more law. If they ever fix the problem, they would cease to be relevant. Hmm. <laughs> and they don't want... I. I while it seems like their actions um, are begging for it, it almost seems like they are pushing for their own irrelevancy by ceding power to the executive branch. When you look at, at for example, uh, the fast-tracking of the, the TPP and TPIP, all right, I mean, they're ceding their authority, essentially. It, it right. seems like the executive branch is really sucking like a vacuum cleaner um, that 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 you know the the consult the executive branch is consolidating power, but the willingness of the judi- or the uh, legislative branch to cede their power to the executive branch is astounding to me. So the only thing I can think of and figure out is they're really not. I mean, they are, but they're really not because in the end, I guess they're all, it's, it's one big party and one big group and, and we're not part of that group. Kind of like George Carlin says, but maybe a little bit, you know, without the, without the cuss, I guess. Absolutely true. This is nothing but WWE. I mean, that, that's all this is. I mean, it, I mean, really think about this. They will have us fighting our neighbors. Oh, Cruz is better. Trump is better. No, Sanders is better, right? They'll have us fighting our neighbors. We won't talk to our in-laws. Yet the people who are actually running for office, the people we're actually fighting over, they go to lunch together. I mean, it's amazing how much Bill Clinton and George Bush hang out. I mean, they're Twitter buddies. And, and I mean, oh, my – I remember my neighbor – was egging my other neighbor's house because he had a George Bush sign. Well, geniuses. I mean, let's think about this. If the people at the top really don't hate each other, this is all a game. They keep control by us being divided. United we stand, divided we fall. So what do they do? They divide us over race. They divide us over religion. They divide us over income. They divide us over political party. They divide us over sex. They divide us over morals. Anything that they can do to divide us. Notice how nothing comes out of D.C. to unite us. Nothing. Everything they do, every piece of legislation, even if it's speeding tickets, everything is created to divide, not unite. And when you have a system like that, then we have to just acknowledge that the result is going to be exactly where we're at. And, you know, Doug, you brought something up that's pretty interesting. Why on earth 
would these people in power yield control to one authority? Well, what's interesting about that is this has happened before. If you look at ancient Egypt, ancient Egypt wasn't really ruled by one all-powerful pharaoh. It was ruled by about a dozen kind of uh, governors almost. And that was the power system. But then as times got tougher financially, and as times got tougher when it came to international war, these governors said to the one pharaoh, we will yield you power if you just control everything so we don't have to worry about it, essentially. And the Hebrew slaves, they were required to give 30% of their time and 30% of their income to the government. Well, I don't know if you've checked the tax code lately, but if you make a middle-class income, you are giving 30% of your time and money over to the government. So we're actually just repeating what has already happened. There is nothing new under the sun. And, and, you know, what you said earlier about neighbors and family members fighting or disagreeing with, or even, yeah, as you said, fighting with others. Maggie, I, who sent me an email earlier today, Maggie, I, I hope you heard that. That's, that addresses your situation. And, and, and I gotta tell you, I'm getting more and more emails, and I say this, quite frequently but i'm seeing this explode where um i'll get an email from someone and, and folks we read every email we get every piece of mail we get we, re- we just can't respond to everything but um but I, i'm seeing uh josh where people are saying you know what uh I, i've lost a friendship or well, actually they never yeah. probably never had it or uh, i'm not talking to my son anymore my son-in-law because of differences ideological differences but this is really exploding like i've never seen in my lifetime and i'm only 30 um (laughs) well no anyway but i've never seen it like this (laughs) well and you know here's the thing every year is is a new level of debauchery it just is and this whole idea of well let's just vote for the lesser of two evils is a perfect example of that When we have a situation where we say, okay, let's vote for the lesser of two evils, just logically, then every election we would either be getting less evil or we would be staying at the same amount because whoever in is in was less evil than whoever was trying to replace them. So if we wrote it out like a logical equation, we would constantly be getting holier or staying the same. But that's not the case. So the reality is, yes, Every time, we should expect to see something get worse. And every time, you're right, Doug, we should say, wow, I've never seen it like this. And I'm going to tell you, four years from now, we'll be back on this show saying the exact same thing. Wow, I've never seen it this bad. Because that's the direction we're heading. We're heading down. I mean, unless something pulls us up, which is never going to be Washington, D.C., then we're always going to be heading down. Very true. Just scan the emails as, um, and folks, you can contact us via email at, uh, uh, just go to Hagman at Hagman, um, Hagman at Hagman.com and, and uh, complete the contact sheet if you have a comment for Josh Tully. But I've, I've gotten so many emails saying, Josh, you're right on the money. Uh, Josh, God bless you. You well said, uh, um, I could go on and on and on. I mean, people are you're resonating with 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 our audience like uh, 
uh, you know, like few others uh, do. I mean, so, so people are on the same wavelength here. Um, uh, we're, go ahead. We got a few minutes before the top yeah, of the hour break, and if we could finish on the uh, with the presidential election and the candidates, uh, Cruz and his eligibility. You know, we saw what what happened with Obama and the birthers, as they were labeled. Um, sure. People who question Obama's authenticity of, of American citizenship. I mean, he holds the Social Security number of a, of a Connecticut resident, but regardless, Cruz is now uh, a candidate, and yeah. he has the potential to become, a, you know, the nominee. And there are questions as to his eligibility, and questions are not being answered. He actually paid to keep uh, cover on a lot of his information. Um. <laughs> Would they get away with this twice? <laughs> oh, of course. Of course they'll get away with it twice. Because, I mean, here's here's the situation. As soon as you have to pay money to cover up where you were born and what your history is, that's pretty much an admission of, hey, I know something's not mojo here, so i got to do something about it. And, yes, they'll get away, for, get away with it twice because what are the other options? I mean, nobody has the... Mm, let's say the manhood. Nobody has the manhood in law enforcement to actually do anything about this. You know, what's interesting about the whole birther issue, okay, let's just assume that uh, Obama was born in Kenya or wherever, and let's assume that he was pulling some sort of major fraud on the American people. Well, there's nothing stopping people like Sheriff Joe Arpaio from instead of just complaining on YouTube, as a sheriff, he can arrest the president for defrauding the people of his county. But no sheriff has decided to do that. So until we have a situation where that happens, they could get away with anything they want. Anything. And they do. And that's the problem. So we, what we have to do is really say to ourselves, okay, knowing that they can, knowing that they do, and knowing that they will, what do we do about it? Those of us who don't have stars on our chest, those of us who don't have stars on our shoulder, and those of us who don't live at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And that is the key question here. Now, I know we're about two minutes away or a minute, 30 seconds away from not just the top of the hour, but for the debates, I know many people are going to be cutting to the debates. I would suggest, you know, you can watch the highlights, okay? But Josh yeah. Tully, Josh Tully's got the, and we have the information, um, I, I, by the way, uh, Alex Jones, uh, InfoWars is running a, uh, uh, the debates live along with some commentary. I, the reason I mention that is I'll be a guest on InfoWars tomorrow with Alex Jones, I believe, uh, uh, one o'clock Eastern, I, 12 or 1. So make sure you tune in for that. But, Any uh, special topic? Uh, uh, what we're talking about now, basically. But, okay. but, uh, Josh Tolley's got the information here. Uh, so you don't need to, don't change your dial. And Josh Tully, his website, of course, is joshtully.com, right? Okay. And he's got, he's got some great information out there, his radio show. And you can find, yeah, the Josh Tully show. You go to, uh, just search Josh Tully and, and you'll get the Josh Tully show archives. You can get the information, the live feed, and he's on VCN right before Alex Jones. And we'll be back with more with Josh Tully right after this break. Stay with us. This is the Global Star Radio Network. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this special edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Our very special guest, Mr. Josh Tolley. His website, joshtolley.com. Folks, bookmark that website. Visit it frequently. Listen to his radio program. What a wealth of information. And he's right on before Alex Jones on, on GCN. He's... uh uh, intelligent? Wow. Yes, he is. Now, before we get back to Josh, I am so excited because, folks, I don't, I don't even know where to start, but I'm going to, I'm going to start, the, I guess, from here. Uh, my wife loves to cook and she, and, but we both, both of us love to eat. Now, there's little time in the day sometimes to, to go shopping and what have you. We found, a fantastic, and I mean a fantastic, um, meal delivery kit service. Now, let me explain to you what this is. All right. It, 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 by the way, it's HelloFresh.com. Now, that's HelloFresh.com. Um, and, and I must add, we have been customers of HelloFresh since September or October of last year. Okay. We were customers long before they were sponsors. At HelloFresh, they want to change the way we eat forever. They believe everyone deserves honest, natural, delicious, healthy food. It's simple as that. They celebrate fresh ingredients and making magic in the kitchen. There's, In fact, there's a chef. There's a chef in everyone. Think about it. We think food brings people together. They do too. Good food allows us collectively to live long, and great food lets us enjoy every bit of life, folks. We are learning and growing every day, and so is HelloFresh in terms of what they do and and the products that they provide. Uh, HelloFresh never... I mean, I mean, they're always improving on their product. They strive to make people happy. And, you know, that's why they started the HelloFresh movement. It's the convenience. It's it's amazing. Whether you're a busy professional couple or, or have a large family that runs at a breakneck pace or Try someone... To eat better. Oh, yeah. You know, it's always... You always want to eat better. Well, HelloFresh dot com is your answer absolutely i've had at least four of these meals oh and every so one of them has been delicious and i'm not just saying that just to just to say it uh we actually had ordered some of these food before they signed on as a sponsor that's right and yeah. yep and, and even eric is over there saying oh yeah man because yeah my wife what happens is a lot of times we'll meet at the house and then have dinner together, Eric, myself, and Joe, uh, before, and then we'll, we'll head to, head to the studio and, and, but we, we eat together and HelloFresh, here's what they do. They, you, well, HelloFresh currently offers customers a classic box or a veg, veggie box. And soon they're going to be launching a family box. Customers can order three, four, or five different meals each week designed for either two or four people. All right. So what you do is, is you select your meals. New recipes are created every week. It's a meal kit delivery service that makes cooking fun, easy, and convenient. They send you the ingredients. You now, now you've got to cook the ingredients, all right? You're, but it, everything is fresh. It's sourced fresh. It, it it's it's fantastic. Each 
Hello. Each week, HelloFresh creates new and delicious recipes with step-by-step cooking instructions designed to take each 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 meal. It takes about thirty minutes for everyone, whether you're new to cooking or a seasoned chef. Just it, it, even if you're short on time, it takes about thirty minutes. They again, they source the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantities, so there's no food waste. They employ a full-time registered dietitian on staff who reviews reviews, uh, each recipe to ensure it's nutritionally balanced. And I will say this. This is a true story. I was at the doctor's. Folks, you know that I've got to watch my diet for health reasons. And uh, I actually had a dietician say, you know, I want to talk with you. In fact, the insurance company, my doctor's, uh, my insurance company almost made it a requirement. And she said, well, she asked me, what do you eat? And I, I, maybe three years ago, I would have said pizza, and, pizza and wings and stuff. But now I, I said, no, we, 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 we actually are customers of HelloFresh. And she says, you know, that's probably one of the best and smartest things you could do for your health. I mean, and, and that's night, a true story. We had the Korean style beef stir fry. Yes. Which I'm looking at right here it includes, you know, ginger, sesame seeds, garlic, uh, brown rice, scallions, ground beef, broccoli. Uh, it's a nut free meal. It is uh, dairy-free, and uh, it was delicious. I mean, fantastic. And, and yep. um, like I said, we've had, I've had at least four of these meals and have not been disappointed. And, and, and they give you beautiful recipe cards to keep, and, and it, it's just a fabulous service. Here's the deal, folks. Here's what you must do, please. Okay, go to HelloFresh.com. Use our promo code CFP Radio. Here's why. Because when you order, when you order your first week of deliveries, meal deliveries, you pick them out and you order them, you'll get $35 off your first week of deliveries when you, you when you go to HelloFresh.com and use CFP radio. That's CFP as in Canada Free Press Radio. You enter promo code CFP Radio when you subscribe. Yes, you subscribe, and and it's simple. You go through, and they walk you through everything. This is the most convenient delivery service, uh, meal kit delivery service I've ever seen. It's by far, and I've, I've tried others. Folks, you know the story. I've tried others. We've tried others. By comparison, this is the best. That's HelloFresh.com. Want to welcome them as our new sponsor to the Hagman and Hagman Report. That's HelloFresh.com. Use our radio code CFP Radio. Again, want to welcome you. Want to introduce our audience to HelloFresh.com. And ladies and gentlemen, order when you order the, your your meals, use the promo code CFP Radio for thirty five dollars off. And let me tell you something. Ladies and gentlemen, you will never, and I and I mean this, you will never find fresher ingredients, better qualities of meats, and the best taste. And Joe, again, you thumbs up, right? Thumbs up, two thumbs, thumbs up, absolutely. Again, I mean, it's better than you know. People gotta go out there conveniently. You get McDonald's and whatnot. Oh, that's yeah. It's this ridiculous. stuff is great. Yes. And, and again, uh, there will be a picture floating around me in an apron, actually, <laughs> actually making a meal. I saw Hello the picture Fresh. being taken. That's right. And, uh, HelloFresh.com, 
promo uh, promo code CFP Radio. And uh, Josh, I want to thank you very much for allowing me to to welcome our new sponsor in like this because it did it, it, uh, cut in on your time. But I really am so excited about the fact that people can eat eat well and eat healthy, and uh, and it's important in times like this. But now. Our guest, Josh Tully, joshtully.com. Folks, you go to Hagman and Hagman Report. It's linked. Our, Josh's website is linked off of hagmanhagman.com and off of this video and audio. So, And we're going to be a guest on his show on the 11th yes. of March, Friday. Can't I wait. Believe. Can't wait. Yeah. I, I love this guy. I really do. Um, but Josh, welcome back and thanks for holding. And, uh, now we talked yeah. about, we talked about a bunch of problems, but we get emails, uh, invariably, invariably we'll get emails saying, well, you know, we know all this. How many times are you going to say we got problems? What do we do about them? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I know on, I know on your show, you talk a lot about solutions. So. Well, to me, it's, it's all about solutions. If, if we can't, identify a solution, then we might as not even as well bother with the problem. It's, it's kind of like people who think that this is all about some sort of information war or something. You know, if, if we just had the information. There's nothing wrong with information. Information is a, a massive tool. But if you don't have a strategy to use that information, that would be the same as an army setting up across the, the valley from you. And if you know they're there, it does you no good unless you have a strategy to do something about it. Just knowing they're there only tells you how you're about to die, and that's no fun. And when we look at, at solutions, what you just did was actually part of it. And that welcoming of that sponsor, that's part of it. Now, what I'm about to say, I don't get a dime from that sponsor. I didn't know about that sponsor until right now. But I'm going to tell you, folks, pay attention to the sponsors. If you're sick and tired of how the mainstream media controls you, and you love shows like the Hagman Report or the Josh Tully Show or whatever, whatever your favorite alternative programming is, the only way we can get this out to more people is through our wonderful sponsors. So don't say, oh, yep, I love the Hagmans, and then go to Walmart to buy your fresh food. Say, hey, I love the Hagmans, and go to HelloFresh for your food, because that's what's going to get the Hagmans more bandwidth, more more whatever they need to continue to grow that message. And that, and, and, and as much as that seems like a plug, it really is part of the solution. I mean, people people ask me a lot, especially since yesterday. Yesterday I had Mike Kerr from Hear the Watchman on, and which, by the way, hearthewatchman.com, get your tickets. It's in Dallas, 18th, 19th, and 20th of, of this month. But we had uh, Mike on yesterday, and after he was on and everybody was kind of fired up that I was going to this conference, everybody kept saying, Josh, are you going to talk about solutions there? Josh, are you going to talk about uh, you know, evangelpreneur, and I, I really don't know. I think what I'm going to go talk about is actually um, alternative media. But it just shows how hungry people are to hear solutions. We've been hearing the alternative media. I remember I had a neighbor who used to get the alternative media in print form back in the 80s, and it really hasn't grown much since then. The distribution has changed. But it hasn't grown much, percentage of, of population-wise. And the reason for that is we don't talk enough about these solutions. And at the, at the foundational level, free enterprise is part of it. Free enterprise has always been and will always be fuel for freedom. All right. Free yeah. enterprise. That's, I mean, that's the ticket, I guess, as they used to say. Right. Now we have the TPP. 
now we have <laughs> these, uh, you know, we're continuing the globalist uh, plan of, you know, thinning out the middle class. We, they've already gutted the manufacturing and industrial sections of America. The jobs, uh, you know, un- they say unemployment's un- finally under 5%. No. Uh, it isn't, you can say it is all you want. It doesn't make it true. And, you know, with the devaluation of our currency, I think last time you, we, you were on our show, you pointed out basically to live at a poverty level, it, it was almost like 70 grand. And you, and you get into this in your book of Andrew That's poverty level? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I have that, I have that right here in front of me, to be honest. Um, I did put it in Evangelpreneur. So this is, this is what Joe and Doug are, are referring to. When I wrote Evangelpreneur, even four years before I wrote Evangelpreneur, I started hearing all these stats about how $18,800 was poverty. And I started thinking, wait a second, I know people who make 27, 32, and they are broke as a skunk, man. So I started looking at the 12 foundational expenses in life. Okay. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna read them to the audience because I think this is absolutely just groundbreaking. I had a, a guy who owned three CPA firms read this, hunted me down just to shake my hand and said this is the most honest piece of personal accounting that he's read in his 40-year career. So what this is is the 12 foundational expenses. Now these are national averages, so keep in mind in, in San Francisco where rent is $3,900 and Biloxi, Mississippi where it's $600, we have to find an average. So just keep that in mind. So we have rent at $1,000 a month. Car insurance at $144.66. Cell phone at 73 I wish. I haven't had a $73 cell phone bill since 1995. Utilities, 264 Cable and internet, 100 Food, 332 Gas, 220 Car payment, 466 10% savings for retirement, because we're all doing that, right? So that's 385 College loan payment, 575 Life insurance, $33. And health insurance, because now that's a law, 402 Now, nothing on there is excessive. You might say, well, Josh, I don't have a college loan payment. Okay, so what? You're only knocking off $6,000. So nothing on there is excessive. That list, guys is $70,000 to be broke. You have no money left over. I hope you live someplace warm because I didn't even put clothes on the list. $70,000 a year gets you to be broke in America today. And we don't want to deal with that. We, we want to get out there and say, well, we need $15 an hour or we need $30 an hour. Meanwhile, that's not going to cut it. And we have this idea that everybody should make a lot of money and everybody should be equal. And to a certain extent, hallelujah, brother, let's sing kumbaya. But that's not life. In life, not everybody can win. And when when you need $70,000 to be essentially broke in America, we need to reassess what we're doing for a living and how we're doing it. I, I would say so. I, I, I mean, do okay. My question would would be: Do you believe that seventy thousand dollar figure? In other words, it, I, I mean, I know, I know people. I certainly, well, I know people who make far less than that, yet seem to be living pretty well. When I say pretty well, I'm not talking about you know it charging 
um, you know, their groceries. I'm talking about they seem to be doing okay. I mean, they're they're, they're certainly not not uh, upwardly mobile, as some would say, but they're 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 just doing okay. So, to you, that seventy thousand dollars is that um, realistic? I guess or a true figure? Um, well, it's it's definitely a true figure when it comes to math. So that is an absolutely true figure. Now, people will once in a while say, Josh, I only make $20,000 and I do just fine. But then you have to look at that quality of life and you have to look at what just fine is. I had somebody say, well, I make a lot less than that. But what they didn't say is that they have four roommates. So, yep, you did, you, you're making it with less than that, but you have four roommates. So there has to be a give and a take someplace else. And what we've done is terrible in this country. What we've done is we say, okay, I'm going to work 40 hours a week and this is my paycheck. Now, what can I get out of life with my paycheck? And that is the wrong way to live. Not only is it detrimental to your heart, it's dangerous to your health, but it's also anti-biblical, to be honest with you. Instead, what we should be doing is we should be saying, this is the life that I want to live. How can I get a paycheck to provide it? And it's never about the amount of money. It's never, you're never going to hear me say, you know, everybody has to have a Ferrari and a private jet. That's not it at all. But when you look at the fact that we spend 30, 40 hours a week making money and the money's not getting us any sort of life, then we have to say to ourselves, we might have been doing this wrong. And that's exactly where we're at. When we look at where we're at and why, I mean, guys, listen, one in two people don't have $500. One in two. Four out of five people are at or near poverty. So we can't say, yep, Obviously, we have a great economy. What we're doing is working. The reality is that we're not doing what we're supposed to do. There's no way, and I wish the politicians would talk about this. They're not going to, so you were dead on right when you said it's better to keep listening to this show. But there's no way an employment-based economy can last more than three generations. It just can't. There's no mathematical way it can keep up with inflation. Well, guess where we are? We're at that third generation. We became an employment-based economy after the New Deal, right? The New Deal took people off the farms. It took them out of their private stores. It took them because the economy crashed. So it put them in a position where they had to give up their business. That was by design because entrepreneurs fight tyranny. Employees do not. So they got them out of their businesses, gave them jobs instead. And that first generation, it was awesome. They got to retire. They put in 40 years at the factory. They might have had a second home. Excuse me, they could take vacations like on Dirty Dancing. Remember Dirty Dancing where Baby and her family go to the Ozarks or whatever for like three months in the summer? That was that first generation, her dad. Well, then the second generation comes along, and that's the baby boomers. Now, the baby boomers did kind of okay. There's some of them that have okay pensions, but there's a lot of homes underwater. There's a lot of reverse mortgages. There's a lot of baby boomers who are thinking, how on earth am I going to pay a four to $5,000 a month assisted living bill when I get older? So that second generation is crashing. The third generation, we're toast. They're telling us, 
don't even think about it. You're going to have to statistically work until the day you die. There is no 401k or pension that can bail you out of this. If you're 40 years old, you need over $2 million to retire. Well, what did I just say most people have? 500 bucks. So don't even think about being in this position where you can actually have some sort of sustainable life. And that's the problem. And because we don't talk about that, even in our churches or from our Republican debates like tonight, then we have no idea what we're actually facing. We are fighting a shadow when we talk about the middle class at thirty to $50,000 a year. You know, I'm just, I am so thankful the, for your explanation, the explanation that you just gave, because knowing the demographic of our listening audience, I, I dare say that the demographic is exactly the people that you're referencing. In other words, we fall into that, um, the majority of people, I think, fall into that that lifestyle, which is, to me, a consequence of an erroneous mindset and you just pointed out the errors of the mindset, which leads to the lifestyle of poverty, and we have to identify it before we can fix it. And, and right. you, you know, and uh, and I'm just so thankful because, folks, please listen to this because what what Josh Tolley is talking about is breaking free of bondage, because poverty is is nothing more than I mean it's bondage. That's what it is uh, to me. Well, well, the Bible calls it the curse, Doug. Right. All right. So, I mean, we're, we're putting ourselves in a position of curse voluntarily. Now, Jesus said the poor will be amongst you. There's always going to be people who, uh, you know, something happens and they're down on their luck. I totally get that. That's not bad. You're not evil. Nobody looks down upon you, at least nobody on this show. But the reality is it's a stark contrast between something that goes wrong that puts you in poverty and then an entire nation that by design is going to school, getting college debt, getting jobs that will statistically never make it. If you have a job, you have a 98% chance of being dead or broke by your 65th birthday. Well, if there was a 98% chance of, of rain tomorrow, we would never plan on going golfing. Yet we have over 200 million people in this country doing that 98% failure plan, and then we're wondering why are we going down so fast? Why can't we get good candidates? Why is divorce 50 to 60%? And all of these are tied into the same thing. I mean, when you look at the top three reasons for divorce, matter of fact, the top four reasons for divorce, you have communication, sex, money, and infidelity. In reality, it's money, 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 and money. It really is, because let's look at communication. The average family spends 39 minutes together, 19 of those minutes alone between husband and wife. 19 minutes. How are you supposed to have a good marriage in 19 minutes a day? You're not. I don't care what sort of love language book you read. I don't care what sort of marriage seminar you went to at your church. When you have 19 minutes together, you're not going to have communication. Same thing with sex. 19 minutes. Hello? <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Communication, sex. Okay, and then money. Notice how when it comes to money, it's never too much of it. Nobody comes home and says, dang it, honey, why are you leaving all these $100 bills all over the counter? It's never an argument about too much money. It's about 
Do you really have to go to work just so we can afford to get food? What's what are we going to do about Sally's tennis shoes? She needs new shoes for school. Well, you, do you really think God wanted you to be in that position? I, again, we're not talking about wealth. We're talking about just being in control of money. So now that leads to um, infidelity. And for a while, guys, even I was thinking it was money, 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 and infidelity. Like infidelity was just something that's wrong with your heart, and that's that's a spiritual deal. And to a certain extent, totally is. But think about this. When you go to work as a man, you go to work, and while you're there, there's a woman who sees you making decisions. She sees you stepping up. She sees you chasing a dream. She's helping you do it. She's seeing you be decisive and strong. Huh. Then you go home. You take off all the, the, the work clothes. You sit down, say, honey, I want a beer, and I just want to watch TV for your 19 minutes of quality time together. So no wonder... The number one place for a man to have an affair is at work because there's a woman there who sees him doing all those things. Now, on the other side, you have a wife who goes to work generally for a man. She puts on her pretty stuff, her makeup, her perfume, her clothes, helps him build a dream, helps him make decisions, helps him, you know, accomplish goals and achieve things together, comes home, says to her husband, why can't you be a, big, a bigger man? Why can't you take out the trash? Why can't you watch the kids? And in reality, we think she's complaining about him, but in reality, she's saying, why can't you be like the man I just left 40 hours a week when I'm with you for 19 minutes? So where's the number one place she has an affair? That's right, work. So you would have to sell some sort of crazy to get me to believe that God wants us in that situation, which is why I wrote Evangelpreneur, where I outline and prove that he doesn't. Matter of fact, he's calling his people to take advantage of self-employment. Not everybody's going to do it, but not everybody is his people either. So if you're his people, you are called to take advantage of, of evangelpreneurship in some way, shape, or form. And if I can just say to our listening audience, your book, folks, um, it, it has blessed. My wife and I both read the book. Joe read the book as well. I mean, it has blessed us. I, I suppose the biggest thing is to, what it caused us to do is to rethink our belief system. And, and, and that, of course, had us adjust our way of living and actions and i mean look i mean some of the things you say 19 minutes of time together well suddenly you become more aware the fact that you're not spending enough time in the role of the woman in the workplace versus the in the role of the man in the workplace in that uh, that, that money um issue you know i mean it, it's it's it it helps you understand your book does help people to understand uh, the biblical principles behind stewardship. That's what I believe we're talking about, isn't it? I mean, really, when it comes right down to it. Well, exactly. And what's interesting about that is Jesus uses stewardship, and we think, what does that mean we do with what he's given us, and we just hoard it and try to protect it? But he gives us a parable that says, no, 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 no. The guy who hoards it and buries it, not only does he get in trouble, he gets his taken away. We're supposed to go out there and look for opportunities to grow what he's given us. That is stewardship. And it, it's, it's kind of sad because when I go to talk to churches, which, again, if you're a pastor out there, well, I don't know why I said again, I haven't brought it up yet, but if you're a pastor out there, 
contact us because we we do work with churches. Anyway, uh, when I go and, and talk to churches, it's extremely fascinating how we are missing the number one opportunity for evangelism. I mean, think about this, guys. In this world, suicide now outranks car accidents for cause of death. The number one reason for suicide is financial stress. The number one cause of cancer is financial stress. The number one cause of Alzheimer's. The number one cause of heart disease. The number one cause of all these chronic conditions. So if we look at the Bible, what do we see? Jesus fed them, then he preached to them. He healed them, then he preached to them. He even said, if you don't understand the earthly, you're not going to understand the heavenly. Well, in today's America, our biggest pain is not with food. I mean, our poor people have two cell phones, for goodness sake. So it's not food. We have an overweight problem in this country. It's not our, our ability to heal lepers. We kind of got that on lockdown. Matter of fact, we make bionic eyes, bionic ears, and fake legs that are so good that if you have one, you can't enter the Olympics because it's considered cheating. You're so good. So our biggest pain is actually financial. Four out of five people are in poverty. So when they come into the church, they come in and they say, okay, I don't know about Jesus, I don't know about Greek and Aramaic, I don't know about any of this stuff, but I'm literally dying out here. My family's being ripped apart. I don't know how I'm going to put food on the table. Do you guys have answers? And then the church turns around and gives them the same answer that got them in this problem in the first place. Go to school, go to college, get a job, spend 15, 19 minutes with your wife, you know, go through the two, three divorces, work up the corporate ladder, never make it anyway. And we are missing the number one opportunity because the Bible says that you're not supposed to be a servant to two people. You can't be a servant to God and money. And we love to tell ourselves that being employed is us not being a servant to money, but being an entrepreneur is because we're all trying to be wealthy and greedy or something. But the reality is the opposite. When you are going to sacrifice your entire time away from your family, let me just tell you, God would have, rather have you homeless, living in a tent with a together family, than in a house when you're gone 40 to 50 hours a week. I so believe that. We, yeah, I mean, I truly, truly believe that. Go on. Sorry. Well, no, <laughs> the danger of having a talk show host as a guest, I could just keep going. <laughs> but, the, but the reality is that that's true. So we're actually putting ourselves in a position of servitude to money by being poor through our poverty. And I'm not saying people are being poor on choice. And I'm not blaming anybody. That's not it at all. But the system, the mindset of, yes, little Sally, I know when you were five, I told you you could be anything you want to be. But now that you're 17, you have to take an aptitude test. And you have to get a job where you have to give up anything that God has put in your heart to go chase and get. And instead, work at a factory down on Fifth Street for 40 hours. That doesn't work. That doesn't jive with the Bible. And there are many well-intentioned Christians who love to say, well, you know, that's what being a, a laborer is about in the Bible. I even read a book that called Laborers Employees. But in Evangelpreneur, I, I point out the difference. A servant, a servant is somebody who shows up at a start time in the morning, 
would work for his master until the end of the day. There was never, well, the project's done. Do I get to go home? No. It was, well, if there's time to lean, there's time to clean. You are going to work every day that you're here. What does that sound like? A job. And then, if the servant was lucky enough to save up enough money over the years, he could buy back his freedom. That's what retirement is today. And then if the servant loved his master, he could go to the, the city gate, put an awl through his ear, and become an indentured servant for life. Today we call that tenure and pension. And we have been seriously lied to by the devil as to this whole money issue because the devil knows that if God's people understand money, if God's people understand that God has provided a way for them to make it, then the devil's toast. And again, guys, it's really important to point out, this is not some sort of prosperity gospel. I'm not saying, you know, tithe your way to millionaire, nothing like that. Just getting back to truth, logic, reason, and strategy. Wow. And you're exactly right. So as Christians, and, and I see this mindset this sentiment, I, I'm not exactly sure what what it is. To me, it's kind of a nebulous um, and ever changing uh, sentiment out there. If you have a bunch of Christians in a room, and I'm talking about uh, dedicated Christians, evangelical Christians, undoubtedly, you're going to have people saying, "Well." Uh, you know, many in the room saying, uh, I, tr- I trust in the Lord for my provisions. And, and I understand yeah. that. We do. We, we do, obviously. Um, but it, they're almost, Josh, there almost seems like the, uh, the sentiment that we are not of this world, so we shouldn't be of this world, if you know what I mean. We, we shouldn't yeah. be concerned with all of this. Um, and I used to say, and I don't say this anymore, that many have been so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. I, I and I stopped saying that because of, of the, disparaging aspect of that and and I I don't want to be disparaging at all but but I I guess what I'm trying to articulate here is this mindset of of it's almost apathy by faith do do you know what I'm getting at am I explaining that right yeah I I, I do and it's something that I've actually been dealing with for a while as you can imagine as I, I bring this message to believers and there's this idea that they will say, well, we trust in the Lord for our provision. That's awesome. But then I ask them if they work 40 hours a week for their provision, and all of a sudden we have a problem. Because you're either lying to me or you're lying to me. So we, if, if you are putting in work in order to get a paycheck, then let's be honest, you are doing something for provision. So if that's going to be the case, then why not do the thing that God wants you to do so that way God can provide for you? See, when when God says he's going to provide for us because he loves us even more than a sparrow, does he just magically put the food inside the sparrow's belly? Or does the sparrow still have to go get it? He just provides something there to get. 
And we as Christianity has totally lost that concept. We think I can just sit here and God will provide. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what Ecclesiastes says. Depending on your translation, it says, when you have exhausted everything that's humanly possible, then rest upon your faith. So yep. the sparrow still has to get up, go out there, find the berry to eat, but thank God for his provision because he provided the berry. Now that's what evangelpreneurship is. I have to wake up, go out there, start my business, but thankfully, because I belong to God and I'm not uh, in the world or of the world, I'm just in it, God provides me with customers. And that's the difference. And the other thing that kind of ties into that, and I know, folks, let, let me tell you something, just as a quick little tangent. I know this hurts. I know it does. In the introduction to the book, for goodness sakes, I said... You know, a second time tonight on, wow. on the cusp of saying something important. Yes. So we're going we're, to... We're going we're gonna to pick up, pick up where he... Where he started there, because um, uh, he was on right on the money. Uh, exactly, uh, folks. We're talking uh, to Josh Tully now. His name Josh, and then T O L L E Y. That's Josh Tully. Same as the YouTube dot, dot com. Okay, um, his yeah. YouTube channel is Josh Tully. Also, yeah. same spelling. Yeah, and and I'm sure we're we're gonna get him right back, but. I am amazed, you know, and and to hear, um, to to hear the conversation about well, you know, geez, we're we're talking about the prosperity gospel. Aren't you getting it? Aren't you getting it? Those people who still adhere to that mindset, aren't you listening, or are you too busy typing? Aren't you listening, or are you too busy? I swear there is a cabal against us. I'm telling you, Josh. You're right. So where did we leave off? Because I'm actually on a landline, and this is getting a little concerning. Yes. Well, hey, welcome to our world. You were saying in the beginning of your book, it's going to hurt. You were saying about how, you know, I know this is going to hurt. Yes. And then, bang, then, then, then it was you were cut off. So, wow, that's interesting. So anyway, I what I was saying is I know this is going to hurt. I know this is painful. I know you're going to want to yell at the radio, hate me. I even put in the front of the book, you're going to throw the book across the room. But that hurt, folks, is actually the, the lie leaving your body. That's what it is. That gut-wrenching hurt is, oh, my goodness, I've been doing the wrong thing, and it's either A, admit it and trust God, or B, just ignore it and let that pain just fester. But that's the truth. And, you know, I was asking a group of, of Christian uh, men, most of them fathers, if your daughter came home with tattoo Timmy and said, I'm in love, I want to marry him, what is the first question you ask? How are you going to take care of my daughter? What's the second question you ask? How much is this wedding going to cost me? What's the third question you ask? Where are you guys going to live? And then around question 10, 11, or 12, we get to, son, do you walk with the Lord? So as much as we love to think that we're not, uh, we're, that money's not important, or as much as we want to think that, you know, we trust in God for our provision, we really have to be like the sparrow. God never just magically puts the food in the sparrow's mouth. 
And we have to go out there and say, what will God bless in his provision? My my, my first question would be, are you an organ donor? But that's just me. Okay. Anyway, um, got to read between the lines there. Exactly. Exactly. All right. (laughs) And I I, kind of want to, was there another question? I'm sorry. No, no. Go ahead and continue because uh, this. Did you just hear that? Yeah, I think that's uh Josh, you all right? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm fine. Are you guys right. okay? You guys just get raided or what? No, we just. There's this this humming and buzzing in the background. But anyway, um, no, no. Continue on because I think this is so important for again for Christians to hear because we have, in my view. We have an earthly position to play. We are we are not put on this earth just to sit here to vegetate and 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 to and to do nothing but but sit in our prayer closet. Now that's I'm going to get emails about this. I know. Yes, we do pray. We sit in our we do spend time in our prayer closet. But we we also must be productive. We must do the Lord's will. We must. Take care of our families. We, we, you know, we go forth and multiply. And by multiplying, that doesn't mean abandoning those that we that we sire or that we, you know, give birth to. It means that we we protect them, but we do so in a biblical way. So just go ahead, continue. Well, you know, it's interesting because you say in a biblical way, and the Bible commands us to financially provide for ourselves, our children, and our children's children. And when one in two of us don't have $500, we're not doing that. And please don't think that I was born with a silver spoon or, oh, this is some sort of rich guy talking and, you know, not at all. Not at all. The exact opposite. I went to a school where I would say the probably the average income for the families was somewhere around $1,200 a month. Like it was, it was no bueno. So it, it, this isn't like I'm talking down upon. It's more like I was sick and tired of the devil lying to me. The devil tells us that somehow poverty is is blessed. Somehow, you know, money's not important. He even lies to us guys on what greed is. I mean, think about this for a second, right? He, We have been taught that greed is somehow opulence, you know, excess, like that is greed. If 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 you have a mansion, somehow you're greedy. But what is greed? In order to find out what greed is, we have to figure out what love is, because it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Well, if I were to love my girlfriend, right? Well, then I would think about her when I don't have her. I would try to spend as much time with her as I can. I would delight in the fact that when I do get to engage with her, it makes me happy. I would think about ways to spend more time with her and get more time with her when I'm not with her. Well, how do we love our money? We think about it when we don't have it. We're happy when we have it and we're spending it. When we don't have it, we think about ways to get more of it. So the reality is that a lot of us are greedy in our poverty because it occupies all of our thoughts. We sacrifice time with the people who we say are the most important to us by at the same time going and chasing after money. And I I know, again, that might be a little painful, but it's true. So we then have to look at, well, what is greed? Greed is that very action of executing that love for the money. It is saying, okay, you know what? Um, 
Yes, my son, I know you said the baseball game is more important, but mom has to go make an extra $2 an hour, and I'll miss the baseball game. And we tell ourselves, well, I have to go to pay the bills, Josh. Absolutely true. But you still placed the bill over the time with your son then, didn't you? Well, if we don't get the money, we're going to get kicked out. Hmm. So again, you're admitting money is important, but then on a Christian show, you're going to say money is not important. It's funny how often God talks about money. God talks more about money than he does heaven, and he talks about more about making it than he does giving it. But we refuse to do that in the church. We take one of two approaches. We either say, A, poverty gospel, where we, where we say money's not important and God is our provision and we don't bother to read the actual Bible. But, you know, make sure you tithe your 10%. Or we say some sort of weird, messed up prosperity gospel where if you buy my handkerchief for $900, you'd be a millionaire by Tuesday. And gone is the real teaching in the middle. Hmm. And now, now most of your audience is probably like, man, that's painful. Well, if you think that's bad, what we should do is we should get me and everybody who's running for office in one room so I can get them all on the same page with this. Because as it stands right now, none of those people can fix this. I don't care how Christian you think Ted Cruz is. I don't think, I don't care how awesome of a businessman that you think Donald Trump is. Life doesn't work that way. They have convinced us, guys, that in order to, that our life, or that they've convinced us that our lives are, are terrible. Our lives suck. So, in order to fix our life, we have to fix the town. But we can't fix the town because we need to fix the county, and we can't fix the county until we fix the state, and we can't fix the state until we fix the federal government, and now they're trying to sell this idea that we can't fix the federal government until we get global policy. The opposite is actually true. Freedom starts locally. Just like if you're on an airplane and the plane goes down, they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first because if you don't, you're no good to everybody else around you. The same thing is true with freedom, liberty, and living out your faith. You have to do it yourself first. If we were an entrepreneurship-based economy, there would be no Federal Reserve central banking system. There would be no global cabal of people trying to take over. There would be no right-left paradigm where we only get two choices on election day. There would be no system where we send kids to school, where they come out, where 10% of them think Judge Judy is on the Supreme Court, for goodness sakes. We would be living in a world that is dictated by God's will for our life as opposed to our boss's will for our life. Even if you look at the creation of the, of the school system, it was created by Henry Ford in Michigan, in, at least in its current incarnation, because he needed dumb, reliable employees that would just do repetition. That's and instead, right. I mean, I mean, for goodness sakes, I have a textbook from 1929, right? And remember what happened then? We shifted into a new deal. So that was the last year of entrepreneurship. I have a seventh grade textbook. That seventh grade textbook, it's a math book, the first chapter, the second chapter, the sixth chapter, the entire book, for goodness sakes, actually teaches math as if you're about to become an entrepreneur. How to set up distribution, how to set up your retail, how to set up your store, how to set up shipping, how to set up all these things. And through those principles, they taught math. Now, it's hundreds of pages of repetition, 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 just so you can regurgitate an answer. And what's really sad 
is now in today's world, we have 27 million small business owners, but very few entrepreneurs. One of the things I do is I help people fix their business or hopefully help them select the right business before they have one that needs fixing because we we leave our traditional employment with that same sort of mindset. We get into business not really knowing what to do. We know what we want to do, but not knowing what to do. So 83% of businesses fail. Like we are in a big, big mess. We are indeed. My goodness. Okay. Well, now, the hour, we say the hour is late. We look around and we see all the geopolitical problems, the, the looming war. We see, I mean, there, there, there's enough bad news to, to fill, fill mm-hmm. up a day, you know. Um, and, and we see many Christians giving away, giving way to giving up saying well it's it's just too late it it what can we possibly do what can i do to change it um uh you know it's futile and of course we're being programmed to to believe that it's futile to change oh, yeah. but you don't believe that <laughs> no i mean think about it think about it we have the god of angel armies on our side we have the god that created the universe Nothing is futile. This is a God who could stop the sun. So if we really think, oh my goodness, now is the, the hours late and, and it's, it's futile. We might as well just roll over and die. Well, then just roll over and die and get out of the way. But you might want to check your spirit to see which direction you're going to go once you do. Because that's not walking by faith. That is that is worse than Job. I mean, you might want to take a, a spiritual thermometer test if that's what your position is. The reality is that our God can do anything. That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So who would be selling the idea that now the time is late? It would be the devil. Because he knows that in those last days, if we are strong... That's bad for him. So even the fact mm-hmm. that they're recognizing the hour is late is a sign that now is the time to stand up. See, one of the problems Americans have, and I know you have listeners from all over the world, but one of the problems Americans have is we don't have a lot of persecution. Not really. I mean, nobody's chopping our heads off because we're Christians. Nobody's making us pay an extra tax because we're Christians. Well, maybe Obama, since his IRS is doing that. But for the most part, we're kind of we're kind of safe as we go. So because of that, at the first sign of trouble, American Christians are like, oh, well, we're done. Might as well roll over. When in reality, God is saying, don't even stand up until you need to. God is saying, hey... Once once the trouble comes, now is the time to stand up. You don't need courage to preach to a choir. You need courage to preach to a lion. You don't need courage to tell another Christian how good Jesus is and, though, and then go get some Sunday chicken. You need courage to live in a world that hates you, and you do it anyway. There was a great long uh, there was a great line from a Garth Brooks song that went, "I don't do this so." The, uh, or I, I don't do this to change the world. I do this so the world will never change me. And even if we stand up just for us, it's worth it. 
And there are so many things we can do. Okay. Man, now, now you got me fired up. I want to storm well, a castle or something. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I, I mean, because you are, and, and I do believe this, that, that you are telling our listeners exactly what they need to hear and, frankly, exactly what we need to hear. You know, we are students as well here, folks. And sometimes, well, not sometimes, it, it does us good to listen to what our guests have to say. And, and if you're hearing what Josh Tully is saying, can you can you see the the uh, biblical consistency in this message? Can you see how it's right on target with Scripture? Can you see the, the value of the information that he's providing? Which brings me around to say, Josh Tully is going to be at here at the Watchman Conference. So him alone, watching his pre- presentation alone, it would be worth the price of admission. Obviously, and not only can you. Uh if you're going to be there, watch Josh Tully. There's a live stream option, <clears throat> there which you, go. you know we haven't yep. been mentioning as much. Yeah. But you know, for 29 bucks, you can sit at home and watch a conference from the comfort of your couch on your computer. But but you you can't rub elbows with Josh, and uh, I'm not sure if he wants his elbows rubbed anyway. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but but just I mean, be, see, being around people like Josh Tully to me is an inspiration, and, and I. And I love to meet the people there, that the attendees, the people who are coming there, and to, to be around people because the I get such a I don't know, Josh, I get such a, a um, I I am humbled and enriched by our listeners who come up and say, you know, I've, I heard you, and I like your show or whatever, um, or I like yes. your guests, but 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 you know. It, it, but to look them in the eyes, to look people in the eyes, and, and to fellowship with people—that's what's really important. So you, you, you know, being there is, is just going to be so great. Here, the Watchman Conference, folks. If you haven't made your your uh, uh, final preparations for it, it's March eighteenth, nineteenth, and twentieth. Uh, we're going to be there. But uh, despite us being there, certainly go and, and see see Josh and, and others. Um, can, can you tell I'm stretching it out because we're like at almost at the top of the hour? It's, it's you know painful. I'm painfully stretching this out. Talk amongst yourselves, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, no, his website Josh Tolly J O S H T O L L E Y dot com. Logic, reason, and strategy, impacting all human endeavors, folks, from politics to relationships, from business to religion. Our guest tonight is changing how you will think, and in fact, will help you succeed. Check out Evangelpreneur. That's right. Awesome, Marie. Stay with us. We're going to be right back after the network news. This is the Global Star Radio Network. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to our third and final hour with Josh Tolley of The Josh Tolley Show, author, entrepreneur, speaker, and so much more. <clears throat> His own radio show, uh, heard live weekdays, Monday through Friday, 10 to 12, 
10 a.m. to 12 noon on uh, Genesis, right before Alex Jones. You can find all that information out. Go to joshtolly.com. That's joshtolly.com. His latest book on Evangelpreneur is fantastic, um, and it is a one-of-a-kind book. Uh, I tell you, I started reading it before he came on, uh, not this time, but the appearance before, and I finished after um, about a week after that show. And I have, I want to go back and read it again, but there's so much in there to teach people how to un, or help people understand how to live and not only just live and, and uh, when I say live, I mean exist, but to live and do it in a godly way, following sound uh, biblical principles in all areas of life, from business to family and to how you use those resources, not only to help yourself and your businesses but to help those around you exactly and solution based uh is always the best i mean we have you know we talk about the problems of this world of uh, you know from the economy to the politics to so much i mean there's problems everywhere and too little do we hear about solutions you know before we get back to josh i want to mention tomorrow night we're going to be joined by coach dave daubenmeyer and author greg jackson what a dynamic duo so set your watches synchronize them right now go ahead uh, we'll wait synchronize your watches for tomorrow night uh greg jackson author extraordinaire coach dave daubenmeyer america's coach to be sure can't wait for that but tonight our guest again as joe said josh tolly a uh, magnificent man. I mean, he's a man's man, uh, truly. And, uh, wow. So, Josh, thanks for, for giving, uh, sacrificing your time tonight and doing multiple hours of radio today. So, thank you so much for, for being with us. You know what, guys? I just want to say thank you for doing this. Uh, I started, I started coaching businesses now 15 years ago. And the last two seminars I've done, uh, I do a, a two-day boot camp, and people can find out more. And notice how I, I don't really plug myself. This is the first time in the entire show. But people can find these, these boot camps on joshtully.com. Here's why I'm saying it. Because the last two I've done, I've had people come from your show. They said, Josh, I've heard you on the Hagmans. They've come to the seminars. Their lives have been changed. Their marriages have been renewed and refreshed. And it's just amazing the results that are happening in these Hagman and Hagman listeners' lives because they've listened to the Hagman Report. And because of that, and because I knew I was coming on again, what we're going to do is we're going to do a couple's special. I absolutely think it is so important that couples do this together. So if, you, if, if you're a listener and you want to come to one of these events, Go to joshtolly.com, select the date and the location that you want to come, and at checkout, if you enter the discount code HAGMAN, we're going to give your spouse 50% off. Just because of what has come through doing these, these interviews with you guys. You guys are changing lives by proxy through this, and I just want to give you a huge thank you for caring about your listeners so much. There are lots of shows, folks, that talk about the problems, talk about the problems, and I get it. It's kind of fun, and we need to know. But when the Hagmans do a show like this, where we get to talk about solutions, please don't waste that opportunity. So I just want to say thank you for that.
Well, and thank you for that ability to, um, uh, for your gracious offer in, in terms of your uh, boot camp uh, um, offer, the the, um, the the coupon offer. And and tell us again, uh, so I can write this write it down this time, folks. <laughs> uh, your boot camp. So the boot camp is called uh, the business of life. Because okay. my theory is we get the most out of business in order to put the most into our lives. So it's called The Business of Life. We have a number of them up on uh, joshtully.com. All you have to do is go to the website, hit the events tab, and you're going to see a number of different options. We have um, Florida in April 16th and 17th, Tam- uh, Sparta, Wisconsin, 30th and 31st. So they can select their event. And just enter, again, the discount code um, Hagman. And what's really interesting about this event is it's not just rah-rah. I'm kind of like the anti-motivational, motivational speaker. I was so sick and tired of going to events and buying books that did nothing but make me excited for two days, and then two days later, I'm back in the same situation. So in this class, you will get the same information that I have used to help businesses completely transform. Some of these businesses are now multi-million dollar businesses. Yeah, I'm going to give you all of it. The sales, the marketing, deciding what products, deciding what industry, who do you work with, where do you put the business, what about regulation, You know, is am I cut out to do it? Well, Josh, I don't want to be an entrepreneur. Can I still be involved? The answer is yes. So we run through all of these issues, so by the time you leave, you are equipped to then go forth and change the world. And what's interesting about that is I was reading one of the comments during the YouTube break, and I forgot who it was, but the, it, it was kind of along that same idea about how we are to serve God, and we're supposed to go out and make disciples. Notice how Jesus said, go out into the world and make disciples. He didn't provide the disciples on location. He didn't say, well, just stay where you're at because I'm going to bring the four corners of the world to you guys. You guys just chill in one spot. Again, it's another example just like the sparrow we were talking about. Yes, it is only God that moves them to say that Jesus is the Son of God. That's exactly what God said. But you have to go plant that seed. You have to go find that berry. And this is the exact same thing, which is why I love talking about solutions to Christian groups, because admittedly, we are kind of hard to change because of the the religious, almost like handcuffs that we wear. But once we change, once we embrace what the Bible says, man, the power, the power that comes out of these Christian homes, once they understand what evangelpreneurship is and how to implement it, it's unreal. All right. Um, let's talk a little bit about you know the uh, how we hinder ourselves and how we can get out of um, whether it's personal bad habits from exercising or not exercising and eating wrong to um, like what you talked about about how if a family doesn't spend enough time together. Uh, you know, so often we get caught up in routines and in cycles and habits um, and find ourselves you know unable to break break away from them to get what we need done or to reprioritize our lives so that we're living you know to the best of our ability um what is it that you know keeps people stuck in in situations they know are are 
not good for them, yet they can't seem to bring themselves to change. What is the number one cause that you've seen, Josh, that um, motivates people to take that first step? I mean, does it have to be you know, people hitting a, a rock bottom or a, having some kind of life change? Uh, or can it be done just by um, wanting it enough? Well, it can be done by two ways. One is hitting rock bottom. There's actually a, a, a physical process that happens when somebody hits rock bottom. I explain that. Actually, it's weird. I explain how and why that works in that seminar. But the reality is that when somebody hits rock bottom, there's a shift that actually happens in their mind. It takes about a millionth of a volt. It's not some sort of weird, goofy thing. It's a real thing. And what you notice is those people that have that hit rock bottom experience never go back. Like these are the people who, you know, they were on heroin for 12 years, hit rock bottom, and now 20 years later, they've never even been tempted. And they're like, yeah, I just gave it up. Well, it's because something physically happens in your brain to make that work. And now there's ways we can do that on purpose, but that's one way. The other thing that happens, and the other reason why we have a hard time changing our behavior, is because we don't have anything to live for. And I know that sounds really weird, but one of the first things I do, and I'm glad you brought this up, Joe. One of the first things I do with the class is I have them make up their meaning of life list. So real simply, the first step, the first step to this is you're going to want to take out a piece of paper and list everything that's in your life, all of it. Your wife, your kids, your softball league, your job, your NRA membership, just lift, list everything because our life is really the accumulation of what it is we do and spend time on. So list everything on that list. Once you have that list, now rearrange it in order of priority. So God first, then your spouse, then your kids, and so on and so forth. Now, this is where it gets really tricky and hard. And I know it sounds simple, but trust me, I've been doing this for a while with thousands of people, and, and it's harder than you think. Somewhere on that list, take a red pen and draw a line. That line is going to represent something very important. Everything above that line is what you would die for. Like, actually, physically, literally, die for. I would assume you would die for your spouse and and your children and all that sort of stuff. I would hope so. So put a line on this list. Now, here comes the sad part. You will notice that most of our time and money is actually spent below the line. Wow. This is why people have the, the, uh, the tendency to go to bed thinking, is this all my life is? And then wake up thinking, man, doesn't it get better than this? Because we are spending most of our time and our money below the line. Which is why, you know, we don't really spend time in prayer with God. We don't read His Word. We don't spend enough time with our children. We don't spend enough time with our spouse. And it's true. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. Most of us spend most of our time and money below that line. Well, here's the significance of that. If you have nothing to die for, you have nothing to live for. And if you have nothing to live for, bad habits become pacifist habits. 
All of a sudden you eat because it tastes good. You smoke because it feels good. Because there's really nothing else that is providing that positivity in your life. You're not chasing anything. For goodness sakes, we just covered in the past hour how terrible everything is. So when you don't have that priority list in, in, in sight with that line drawn on it, of course we're going to fill it with bad habits. We're also going to fill it with complacency and, and normalcy bias and all these other sort of things that alternative media tries to blame but never tends to figure out. Well, here's the process of figuring it out. So once you have that list made, you start saying to yourself, okay, what is it going to take in order for me to make that a reality? Now that's where it becomes a little tricky. And that's where change is required and the things that require us from or prevent us from changing are actually fear and pride. So many people are actually afraid to succeed. And I know that sounds weird. Like how why would people be afraid to succeed? But if you actually look up just Google self sabotage you will find that it is a massively large phenomenon. Because as much as we hate being where we're at, we're scared of actually moving. So we have a tendency to excuse away or self-sabotage any sort of action that moves forward, all based out of fear. So we need to talk about fear a little bit. Fear is nothing to be afraid of. Yet it's everything that fear is made of. Wow, that was pretty cool. I've never said that before. Somebody should write that down. But here but here's the reality, okay? Let's say let's say I'm on a mountain and I'm afraid of snow and there's a weather report that says, "Oh my goodness, there is 3 feet of snow coming." Well, I am going to get on my satellite phone and I'm going to call a helicopter and I'm going to pay $800 to get them to get me off of this mountain because of my fear. Well, now let's say I'm a skier and I'm on the bottom of the mountain in the village and I hear three feet of snow is coming. I am going to pay $800 to have that helicopter take me up the mountain because I want to go be afraid. And this is where we've kind of messed up as American society. What one person is afraid of so they run, another person is afraid of so they run towards. And the difference is identifying what it is you're afraid of. So I would ask listeners, say, okay, let's just take a break, sit back and say, what am I actually afraid of? Because if we can't identify it, then we can't overcome it. We just feel afraid and we're not really sure why. Matter of fact, this is a common phenomenon with a lot of Christians today. They're moving out of the country because they're afraid and really not sure why. They're building bunkers because they're afraid, but not really sure of what. And I'm not saying those things are bad and you should prep, and I teach a class on that too. But when you can't identify it, even your prepping is going to be unsuccessful because you're not prepping for something specific. You need to identify the very thing you're afraid of. The other thing that prevents us from changing is pride. Pride is this almost delusion of grandeur. It's saying that if I try and fail, then somehow I'm worse than if I've never tried. And that's just pride. That's ego. The reality is that I hope you fail. Yeah, I hope you fail. Because failure is where we actually learn how to succeed. If you never crashed while you're skiing, you're never going to be a good swimmer. If you never fell when you were walking, you would never learn how to walk. 
It's actually the failures that we learn to correct that keep us up, if you think about it. When you have a little toddler, it's not his success that gets him to change and become a walker. It's his failures and then learning how to avoid them in the future. And for some reason, as adults, we've been so inundated with, well, if you fail at something, then that's somehow embarrassing. Folks, i got to tell you, the most embarrassing thing is to never try. That's Absolutely. embarrassing. If, yep. if, if you come in front of me and say, well, Josh, I've never tried everything in anything in my entire life. I never took the risk. There were a lot of things I thought about doing, but I never did it. Are you proud of me? No, I would say I, I'm sad for you. I pity you. Because there's nothing that God could have blessed. I tell people this, guys. I say, look, if you don't have a dream that is so big that it would take an act of God to accomplish, then don't expect him to show up. We have these dreams like, well, I just want to make it to Friday. Well, do you need that much divine intervention to make it to Friday? All you have to do is not die. So... A, we really have to get back to what are we trying to live for? And that's uh, such great insight, you know. And you'd think us humans would, especially in the advanced society we live in today, we would have the common sense to um, think of things like this more often. And, I, and, you know, you raised a great point asking yourself, what do I have to live for? Um, you know, what... People wake up, you know, we have the highest rate of, of medicated people yep. uh, per capita, and we have the highest incarceration rate. It just seems like people are hopeless. Even, you know, people who work every day, same jobs, sometimes, they, you know, you find people who love what they do. Most people hate what they do, but they do it because they feel that they have to, that there is no choice. We put ourselves in this little box almost, you know, we restrain ourselves like how people put God in a box, you know, and it's sad, but we can only go as far as we allow ourselves mentally. If we have a attitude that we're only as good as, uh, you know, $7 and 50 cents an hour. And, you know, that's all we're going to ever make because we have no formal education or whatever, then that's what you're going to be. But, um, if you've never went and, and, tried something different and did something on your own to change your circumstances but as you said then how can you sit there and, and say honestly that you know this you know how this is going to end because it's going to just continue the way it is you'd be surprised what happens when you do apply a little bit of um, effort I mean you get in what you put out of it uh, and how much of, of the motivational side Josh de when you deal with this uh, deals with people putting a balance, especially business owners for themselves. Uh, you know, small business ownership, you see people working more so than a regular job. People say it's better to work for somebody than to work for yourself because of the time you spend working for yourself is always more. Um, what do you tell people uh, who come to you with that question? You know, should I work for myself um, or is it better to, to work for somebody else? I tell them that they're doing it wrong. It is never better to work for somebody else, ever. I mean, there's, there's no exception. Even if you work for me, and the reality is that I have a couple staffers who are listening to this show. And to be honest, I would love for all of them to, at some point, go work for themselves. Because the reality is, unless you and God sign the bottom of your paycheck, you are controlled by your boss. 
that is never a good place to be. Your boss, depending on how much he pays you, determines where you live, not you. Your boss, depending on how much he pays you, determines what quality education your kids get, not you. Your boss, depending on how much he pays you, determines how well you can pamper your wife, not you. And I hear this objection a lot. Well, you know, business owners, they're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, Josh. Only if they're doing it wrong. And that's the problem, because we leave our employment, and we think, what can I do Monday through Friday? Well, I never run a business Monday through Friday. Who wants to put in that much work? Instead, you find businesses that actually provide an income as opposed to a service or a project that you physically do. I would say out of, out of I don't know, a thousand businesses that I'll talk to, well over 900 of them, when they say, yep, I'm in business or I'm thinking about starting a business, start some sort of intense business that they plan on actually doing from like 8 till 5. Mm-hmm. Now, if if you have to one night or something, well, that's different. But, I mean, for goodness sakes, I remember this guy, I was at a tractor pull. You know, Doug said, Josh is a man's man. There you go. I'm kind of a little redneck. <laughs> I was at a tractor pull, and now it's... Tractor pulls in the middle of Nowhereville. It's not like you have a tractor pull in the middle of downtown. So there's nothing around. And this was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday event. And I'm getting thirsty, and it's Thursday mornings, or Friday morning still. So most of the event hasn't even happened. And I go get a lemonade. And again, nothing around. So this guy has has a business model that's just awesome. He charges me $6 for a large lemonade. And I wait in line for probably 45 minutes to get it. Now, I asked this guy, I explained who I am and what I do, and I said, now, just be honest with me. How much did it cost you for this lemonade? And he said, with the cup or without the cup? And at that point, I knew I was getting ripped off. (laughs) But I said, with the cup. And he said, 35 cents. I said, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. You're making over $5 of pure profit per cup? And he said, yeah. I said, how many have you sold so far? Now, keep in mind, this was Thursday and Friday morning, so the busy times haven't even happened yet. He said, oh, about $1,200. i am like, whoa, wait a second. So in, in about an eight-hour shift and a four-hour shift, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, in 12 hours, you made over 6000 bucks. Yeah. I said, how much, how much are you going to make this weekend? I mean, when it's all said and done. He says, well, I'll sell them, you know, anywhere from 62 to 7,200 uh, cups. I said, wait, so you will make $40,000 this weekend? He said, yeah. And I said, well, do you have another job? He goes, no, I do five of these a year, make 200 grand, and that's it. Spend the rest of the time with my wife and kids. Now, the rest of us are thinking, well, how do I start a business that's a plumbing business, and I'm going to get 48 clients a day, and I'm going to work from 7 in the morning till 12 at night, midnight, and I'm going to say, man, the stupidest thing I've ever done was start a business. No, the stupidest thing you've ever done was start the wrong business. And that's what people have to change. That's why I do this course, because there are 27 million small business owners, and there are very few entrepreneurs. Very well said. And you, uh, with the, the story last time when you, you came on was about a man in a hot dog stand. Yes. And, um, I couldn't think that would be topped, but you just topped it. And I almost walked out of here and 
<laughs> went to go buy some <laughs> cups and some lemons. I mean, that is, you talk about a, uh, uh, well, a, something that, I mean, that's a dream. I mean, that would be a dream job for anybody. Barely have to work, uh, you know, a few days a week. You're doing nothing but, you know, selling cups of, of lemonade and you, you're living the high life. I mean, and nobody looks at that guy selling the lemonade and says, you know, that guy's got it made. Nobody. Not that that's no. important, but. Well, it, it, it's very important because, like I said, we think of business as what do I do from Monday through Friday, eight to ten hours a day. I mean, that right there is telling you you're in the wrong business. Even if you were to start a plumbing company, you would there. there's a much better way to do it. You start to compile other plumbing companies in town. You start merging them together so those people are doing the, the 30 to 40 hours a week work, not you. If if you're putting in 30 to 40 hours a week work and you have a traditional small business, you're doing it wrong. And the reality is, is so many people do it wrong that we somehow get this bad taste in our mouth and say, oh, yeah, well, my neighbor tried to start a business. That was terrible. I'm just going to stay at my job where I don't see my wife or kids. I'm never going to make it. The job is literally killing me, but at least I didn't try something. And the guy, I know, right, that's ridiculous. The guy who wrote the forward for my book, even in the forward, said that he tried 16 businesses and failed. But the last one made him well over a million dollars a year for the past 20 years. Now, you never hear that with a job. You never hear, well, I, I had a job, I got fired, had a job, got fired, had a job, got fired, had a job, got fired. But man, that last one I applied to, they decided just to spontaneously pay me a million a year. It can't happen. So when you have this idea of, well, should I do it, which one can God bless? God doesn't defile, or he doesn't defy laws. The laws of mathematics, the laws of nature, gravity still works. I don't care if you're saved or not saved. So if mathematically it is impossible for a job to create economic and spiritual freedom when it comes to you controlling your time and money and not your boss, how on earth would we ever expect him to bless that? Meanwhile, if you start a business, which is his model for his people, even in, even in Egypt, then that is something he can bless. That doesn't mean you're going to succeed, and it doesn't mean, again, it's it's about a certain amount of money. Notice how this entire interview, I'm not saying, hey, I'm going to make you a millionaire. That's not the point. The point is, how do you and God control it, as opposed to becoming a servant to somebody else? That's the point, and everybody can do it. We've had people come through the class that were 75, 80 years old, for goodness sakes, and they can take part of entrepreneurship. And that's just, uh, I mean, you know, the way we do things, the way we think of things, we, our whole, uh, outlook and the way we look at our, our world, our country, our lives is based on the way, you know, history has been, what other people tell us, how it should be. We too often listen rather, uh, listen to other people rather than listening to the Lord and, and to, uh, what he said and, and following the uh, example of successful people, uh, and I don't mean successful in a money sense. I mean successful being happy with their life and yes. what they do. And, you know, we need to, you know, if everybody were to start a business, you know, we have a, an, 
economy based on supply and demand. But we've been taken over by, you know, mega business like Walmart, but we see those now dying out. Over, what, almost 300 Walmarts are closing worldwide now. Uh, yeah, they lost um, how many billion dollars? Yeah, I mean, they're they're losing money left and right now. And McDonald's, the same thing. So these business models that come in, start these huge, you know, super centers, uh, these big malls, big shopping stores, undercut the the little guy, um, then grow massively and plant their businesses all over the country, are now drying out. You know, is this a, a climate for, you know, small businesses to rejuvenate and, and yes. come back? Yes, 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 yes. I am so glad you asked that question. You are a genius, man. The reality <laughs> you give me way is, too much credit. <laughs> the reality is that a quote-unquote bad economic time is actually good for us. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but when it's a good economic time, let me give you an example. When it's a really good economic time, when you're listening to Fox News or whatever and the economy's booming, when you try to start a business, you're going to look at commercial space that might rent for $2,000, $3,000, $10,000 a month. You need to have fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 a month ready before you can even get the spot, let alone the build-out or the clients or the advertising or whatever. Well, in a bad economic time when nobody's renting, you can literally go to that that realtor, and I just worked a deal like this, so I know it's true. You can literally go to that realtor and say, hey, you know what? Nobody's renting this anyway. You're losing money every month. I'll rent this for nothing. I'll just give you a percentage of what I do out of this. That's not possible in a great economy. Now, here's the, here's the other thing. In a in a good economy, quote unquote, it's really hard for the little guy to survive. People like Walmart, Target can come in and just chop your legs off. But in a bad economy, it's actually the opposite. In a bad economy, the small guy has the advantage. And you might be thinking, why? Well, because the big companies carry a heavy debt load. And that's that's a whole complex thing, and there's matrixes for it. But the reality is that they're up to their eyeballs in debt, even these billion-dollar companies. So when a bad economy comes along, they still have payments to make. You don't. So you can come in and say, okay, well, that really big company that was going to charge you $2,000 to do the roof, I'll do it for 1000 Now the big company cannot compete with you because there comes a, a, there comes a point where they hit the law of diminishing returns. Like, for example, I met a couple in uh, the the Olympic Peninsula in the state of Washington. This couple was in their mid-60s, and they made well over $100,000 a year just following around mining operations. And I said, you make, and this was even surprising to me. I'm like, you do what? And they said, well, think about it. It costs $5,000 for that mining company to sift through the stuff that they missed. And they're not going to do it just to make $1,000. They would literally lose $4,000 an hour. So we go behind them with no overhead. We sift through it. They don't mind because they would literally lose money. We sift through it, kind of glean the field, so to speak, and they make well over $100,000 a year. So the reality is that it is never a bad time to start start a business. And I'm going to cover another thing that ties into that, Joe, and that's this idea of, well, Josh, there's a whole lot of regulation. Yes, 
The question I have for listeners is, why do you think that is? Do you think the the powers that be create a lot of regulation to prevent you to start a business because of how terrible it is for you? Or because they know how powerful it is for you? Notice how there's less and less regulation to become an employee, but more and more to start a business. There's a clue there. Beyond that, it doesn't matter. Is there regulation? Yes. But the reality is that if you've ever been to prison or know anybody who's been to prison, they will tell you that there is that guy in prison who can get you anything you're looking for. You want cigarettes? He's your guy. You want a girly magazine? He's your guy. Well, wait a second. You're telling me that somebody can be an entrepreneur literally in an 8x8 steel box? And you're telling me that you can't find an opportunity in 3,200 miles of America? It's, it's not that there's regulation, it's that we don't know how to look for opportunity. And we only tend to look at the exact place that they put the regulation. It's kind of like a nightclub. We want in the front door because that's our mindset, like you were talking about. We're not taught how to do this. We want in the front door of the nightclub. They know we want in the front door of the nightclub, so they put the bouncer at the front door of the nightclub. Meanwhile, there are three back doors that nobody knows are there, and they're completely open. All you have to do is walk in. <laughs> Oh, wow. Think about that, folks. You're you're right on the money. And there's never a better time than now. Absolutely. Which, you're right. I mean, the only, as I sat back and I was listening to everything, really the only thing that's stopping any one of us is the our, our own mental limitations we placed on ourselves? We place on ourselves, yeah, and, and and a certain amount of common sense, but 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 the limitations that we impose upon ourselves, and at times even a skewed perception, a not an accurate perception, of biblical principles. Because if we did follow the biblical, the Bible, the principles contained in the Bible, as it, as it relates to business. You know, uh, there's a lot to be said about the Bible as being a book, well, an instruction book for success, and that includes all aspects of your life, including your business life or your, your professional life. Indeed. Wow. Yeah, it has nothing to do with really the amount of money. I remember when I was young, I was probably 21 years old, and I met this couple in their 30s, and they were starting a business. And... Uh, I helped them in that process, and they were crying. And I said, what are you crying for? And they said, well, we've been praying for months for something. We go to bed every night thinking, is this all life is? And I was young and single and all that sort of stuff, and I just thought, well, it had to be because they didn't have any money. Then I was talking to a guy who made multiple millions of dollars a year, had five homes and two jets. And I was telling him this story, and he goes, Josh, I go to bed every night thinking the exact same thing. So this is not, folks, about how much money. It's about how much life. How much life do you want to get out of life? And to me, somebody once told me, now this is not theological, it's just metaphorical, right? It's just an example. But somebody said, Josh, hell would be dying and meeting the person you could have been. And I think about that every single day of my life. Is, is there something that I didn't do that I could have? And the reality is, guys, if you don't take a chance, you don't have one. 
There's no such thing as, as okay, well, uh, God's going to save me, and then he's just going to stick me in a cave, and I'm going to live here for the next 40 years and die because that's his plan. Show me that. I will give you $100 cash if you show me that in the Bible. The reality is it's not in there. So we have to make a decision for life. And that's what this is about. That's why this message is, is so important. That's why people were asking, Josh, when you go to the hear the Watchmen, are you going to be talking about this stuff? Because this, all of all of the, listen, all the stuff that we cover, because I cover it too, all the stuff we cover is vitally important. But without this element, and I don't think it's me. If you know me and my history, I'm not that A student. I'm not that bright. But this is like the missing element. This is what has been missing from Christianity for a hundred years. I didn't come up with it. This used to be taught, but we've given it up in lieu of, well, come to church on Sunday, but Monday through Friday, go to a job. Yeah, that's new. That, that didn't exist prior to a hundred years ago. Very interesting and, and very true. Wow. Well, all right. No, we uh, <clears throat> had uh, our, one of the people that do the accounting stuff with us uh, in our studio, and he went on a, a missionary trip to, I don't know, was it, it Dominican? was the Dominican Republic, right. And he was expressing how um, the people there were so nice and warm and how they lived in these straw huts, and it was very poor. But he said, you know, you'd walk around and, and people were happy and... He, uh, be invited in and just about every, to every place you walk by and they, you know, give you some food or something to drink and, yeah. And you think about that and you think about how we live here in America and, you know, people walk in front of your house and basically, if you don't know them, you might as well, everybody's attitude is, you know, just get away from me. We turn the other way, walk over homeless people. Yeah. And what is it about the, their life that is so simple yet they are content to the point that they they live their life even though they have you know basically nothing what we would consider nothing but they yet they're so giving they're so friendly and um why have we lost that here because they have that list that i was just describing and we don't Matter of fact, I have a completely free teaching. I don't even want anything from you. If you go to Purple Monkey University, I actually teach that list on there for free. But that's the difference. I remember I was in Jamaica, and I put this in the book. I was in Jamaica, and I was at a very nice, all-inclusive resort and all that sort of stuff. And I met a guy who was self-employed, but made like 50 bucks a week or a month or something, like just poorer than poor. But the guy was happy because he controlled his own time. He woke up every morning and had breakfast with his children. He had a goat outside, bananas up in a tree, fish in the ocean. And the guy had a great life. But he was an entrepreneur. Then I met a guy who was in the hot tub with me back at the resort. He's there because his, do his doctor told him he needed to work on his health and his marriage. His daughter doesn't talk to him. He's a high six-figure income earner, and his life is terrible. So again, it's not about the amount. It's about life itself. But you can't have life itself if somebody else is signing your paycheck. It's, it's, not, it's not even possible. Because, I mean, I mean, really think about this. We think of the Hebrew slaves as slaves like uh, early uh, American history slaves. 
But they weren't. If you go look at archaeology, they were just servitude slaves. They just had to work for the, the, the Pharaoh 30 hours or, um, 30 hours a week and give them 30% of the revenue. That was slavery in the Bible for the Hebrew slaves. That's why Pharaoh even said, yeah, you guys can go, but you gotta leave the livestock here. You don't let a slave go. So we have this wrong picture. The reality is that even then, they understood the power of entrepreneurship, which is why Joshua had a little bit more freedom than the other people, because unlike the other people who are just mashing bricks or doing whatever, he said, wait a second, if you want your face on that stone and I'm going to cut it into that stone, then I want perks. I want to have my own house and I want to have my own servant. And he got it. Because even in captivity, entrepreneurship works. Even in Russia, in China, entrepreneurship works. And because we don't get that, because we don't know our priority list, then we're living a life where we just feel like we're spinning wheels, spinning wheels, spinning wheels, even in our ministries. I went to a church... I was sitting in the front row. I heard all these people ask for prayer requests. And all of them except for one prayer had to do with finances. Wow. So we have to stop lying to ourselves. My belief is that no church should have the audacity to ask for money or even accept it if they're not also going to biblically teach those people how to make the money. Wow. Now that's a revolutionary thought. Not really, but I mean, very true. Very interesting as well. And, and folks, think about that. Josh, from our listener feedback email, let me hit you with this, with this listener and her question to you, comment slash question, if you don't mind. And, yeah. And, okay. Um, I'd like you to respond to her because she, she writes something interesting, all right? And her first name is Phyllis, and she said she writes this. Josh Tully's belief that you should never work for someone else. Please, I am a community college instructor, and at every step of the way to my current position, I've been led by the hand of God. He needs us in all kinds of places and working in all kinds of job settings. Now that, that's the entirety of her statement slash question, whatever. Now, how do you respond to that? I'm I respond by, I'll, I'll tell you exactly how I respond. I respond by saying that's only half the answer. See, we, he, there's, there's two elements at play there. One, does God want you in the job that you have? Yeah, maybe. Cool. That doesn't take away from a single thing that I just said, though. So, like, for example... I have a chapter in the book, Does God Love Murder? Because we love this this idea, well, God wants me in the job I'm in. God opened that door for me. Well, tell you what, if you're God's child, he's going to bless you even when you're doing things that as long as they're not sinful, he's going to bless you. It's not a sin to work for the community college. It's not a sin to go work for the factory. So he's going to bless you as much as he can bless you. Hallelujah doesn't take away a single jot or tittle from what I just said, though. Now, beyond that, statistically we know that less than 1% of Christians will ever spread their, their beliefs at their job. 
We also know about the increased divorce rate, the increased drug rate, the increased teenage pregnancy rate. So you have to weigh those out and say, huh, is this really where God wants me to be? Or is it where I'm at and it's not a sin, so God's blessing me as much as he can? Now the other element to this is that doesn't take away from the fact that you still need to be involved in entrepreneurship. Because I don't care how well that community college pays, they are never going to give you a 10% a year raise. Well, inflation is 10% a year, and it has been effectively since 1871. So if they're not giving you a 10% raise every year, and you're not supplementing with entrepreneurship, you are being a bad steward, by definition. You are literally the guy who buried the, the money in the ground and said, bless me, bless me, and it's not going to happen. So let me give you an example of another teacher. This is a real-life example. And she knew that teaching, while it's what God has called her to do, was also not all that God called her to do. So there's a headline that said, Humble teacher leaves millions to charity. And I started thinking, well, wait a second. Mathematically, that ain't happening. That's, that's, there's something to this story that we're just not hearing. So I did a little digging locally and <laughs> All right, I think we lost Josh one more time. In small business that allowed oh, her to go. then retire with millions of dollars and bless charities with millions of dollars while at the same time being a teacher at the local high school. So that's awesome. I'm so glad you're there. But the reality is everything I said is still true and valid. Gotcha. And that that's kind of how... When I considered that question, that, that's kind of how I looked at that as well. All right. Now, yeah. uh, I, I, I do have to say that we lost part of your audio there. Yeah. However, it, it didn't matter. I mean, one can understand there was another component to that wealth is what you, is what we lost, but. Yeah, the, the, real quickly, the bottom line was that that's, that other teacher took advantage of entrepreneurship, and that's where the wealth was generated right. that allowed her to supply for her needs, her kids' needs, and then give millions to charity. And I think I think a lot of times, Josh, that, that sometimes we when if if we think we are, um, I, I, I'm not even trying to put this. Sometimes we, we get comfortable, and yes, that that comfort level. Is a lot of times to, to me, and I and I think about this. I wrestle with this because maybe I'm comfortable, uh, but being comfortable does not cut it because we've got a job to do and help others and and share the gospel, go out and 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 help other people. Being comfortable, that's just a very egocentric position, right? I mean, it's I, I've got mine. You know, I've I've got mine. Okay, I'm all I'm taking care of. I feel good, but we're just we're not called just to just to exist. We're called to help others to do what we need to do. I, I guess that's kind of what I'm what I'm saying too. I, I I don't know if that made sense, but no, it absolutely made sense. I remember I had a guy call the show that said, "Josh, you know nobody needs that much money." It was talking about taxes and you know whatever, and the guy said, "I think it was seventy five grand he made." He goes, "I make seventy five thousand. I don't need any more than that." And I said, "Wow, that is extremely selfish and greedy." And tell you what, I want you to go down to the, the burn unit at the local children's hospital and say, you know what, guys, I was, I was thinking about buying you that treatment that you needed, but I got mine. I want you to go down to the homeless shelter and say, hey, you know what, I, I think that it's terrible that you're homeless, but I got mine. 
The reality is that we can make everybody listening a millionaire and still not fix the problems, still have problems that God would want us to help go fix. And just the godly truth is that it takes money. It does. Even 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 God put coins in fish's mouths. Yeah, and I think you nailed it when you said, I think there's a level of, of comfort. And we need to remember, as long as you're not sinning, there's going to be a level of blessing in whatever you do. It doesn't mean it's the best thing or the right thing. And, and Jesus gives that same parable with that one where that one guy buries it. Remember, the next guy doesn't do as yep. well, but he still gets blessed. That's where a lot of Christians are. They're like, well, I feel God called me to this job. God opened the doors. It was a divine appointment that I got the job. So, Josh, obviously God wants me to have the job. No, why would you make that leap? <laughs> That'd be like <laughs> saying you were raising you were raising Joe, and you wanted him to learn how to ride a bike, but you taught him how to walk, so you, he wants me to walk. Well, that's just part of it. You have to keep going. And we don't do that. We hit that comfort level and stop. Hey, Amen. Amen. That's right. Jeff, we are in the closing minutes. I want to ask one more listener question, if we can. This is from, yeah. from Deborah. She says, <clears throat> I would like to work for myself, as it would be much better. I understand. Once I find the right business for me, how do I succeed? So I guess her question is, how does she find the right business for her? How to find the right business. I have a process called the Opportunity Basket, and I know we only have a few minutes, so I'm going to try to do this quick. The reality is that we have to reverse engineer this. So the first thing you need to figure out is how much time you need, how much money you need, and the people you're going to work with. So it's kind of like I said earlier. De design the life you want, and then it's actually fairly easy to find the right business that does it. The biggest mistake a lot of business owners make is they get into something they either A, like, because somebody in a movie once said, do what you like, you'll never work a day in your life, or B, something that they know. Now, these are typically two of the hardest obstacles, to be honest. They're not the blessings. They're the obstacles. So if we reverse engineer it, we can actually start eliminating hundreds of businesses, and by the time you get through a course like the one I teach, you'll be able to look around and see hundreds, literally. I, I make people make a list of like 50 right now. You'll see hundreds of opportunities, and you just pick the one that fits your time, money needs, and people needs. Gotcha. And then Very you get good. the training on how to run it. it. It's vitally important. I mean, you get trained to learn how to fly a plane, drive a car, buy a house, raise a kid. You have to do the same thing when it comes to running a business. Don't just say, okay, I'm going to start and hope it works. Take right. the time to come to a weekend event like we were describing. Amen. And, and that's it. You know, we, we have to, uh, yeah, uh, folks, one foot in front of the other let's start let's get up and, and start walking toward our future and our success even as bleak as things might seem and as bleak as they are we still have to well we're still commanded to uh, to occupy and we're still commanded to, to, to be productive josh do you um have any uh interesting guests upcoming uh, yeah anything? Yeah, yeah we have that, uh, we have you guys on the eleventh. How much better can it get than that, right? <laughs> well, thank you for that. <laughs> we also 
<laughs> we also got uh, L.A. Marzulli this Friday, who's also going to be at Here the Watchman. But then we we usually fill the entire month with really cool, interesting guests. One of the things I love about my show is I have an amazing producer that takes care of a lot of the guests, so I get the enjoyment, the excitement of almost being surprised when the guest comes on and saying, oh, cool, this is who I get to talk to today. So that's kind of how that works, with the exception of friends like you guys. Wow. Well, we have to talk to your producer. I think we need one. No, I'm just kidding. We, we've got so many good people. Don't take mine. I will fight you. <laughs> I don't want that fight. No, no, no. Boy, no. Take a look at Josh. I mean, yeah. I got to tell you, he's, he's, he's big guy. Josh, thank you so much for being on our program. We've actually uh, just gone through three hours of just like just like that, and so much information, so much biblical Biblically based information and what in an enrichment. Yeah, with all the we felt the the stuff going on in the world yeah. and, and to to have you come on and and have three hours of of fun and and learning uh, and solutions and logic, reason, yeah, and strategy is what we got and, and and entertained as well. And the service you provide to people, you know, just by your radio show and and. Um, the positive aspects of, of how you present all your information is, is very uplifting and inspirational. And, uh, and, and can't exactly. And folks, follow Josh Tolley on Facebook, on Twitter. Okay. Subscribe to his YouTube, the, Josh right. Tolley. Yep. Absolutely. And, uh, hey, Josh, until, well, until the 11th and then in Dallas, onward to Dallas. I just want to say thank you for being our guest tonight and God bless you. Did we lose him again? I, well, you know, at least at this point, we 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 lost him at the, the show. at the end of the show. Technical problems, yeah, indeed. I just want to uh, just want to remind everyone, Joe. Tomorrow, I'll be on with Alex Jones. Uh, yeah. I believe in the uh, first or second hour. I can't remember which. Uh, uh, one o'clock Eastern, twelve Central. So whatever. To, I can't remember. But anyway, uh, we're gonna be talking about a lot of issues, including. Uh, Oh, including what I said, my, my thoughts about the Supreme Court, what's going to yeah. happen there, uh, and other issues surrounding the domestic situation. We have uh, Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer and yep. Greg Jackson on tomorrow night. We do. Sunday I'll be on with Dave Hodges yes, you uh, will. for the two hours, um, 8 to 10. N- next week we have Peter Lavenda coming on with us, and then Chris Ann Hall is going to be a guest. Yeah, we got next week a, a great uh, week by A whole bunch of stuff going on. I mean, folks, tune in, all right? And don't forget the live streaming at Hear the Watchman. If you can't attend, you want to see what's going on, you want to watch the conference, go to hearthewatchman.com. There's a live streaming option, 29 bucks. Can't beat it. I want to thank Global Star Radio Network, Todd, for being such a great provider. And, of course, J.D., Rhonda, Eric, God bless each and every one of you. Good night.